Coming up on episode 82 of Pixel Gaiden. Tim discusses his retro collection history. Does weather affect gameplay? Beer and beer goggles. Our patrons get funky. Controllers that don't drift. Who wants a new VMU? Six good classic arcade games. My dad has news of the weird. And Eric simply acts weird. Eric Nelson, how are you doing, sir? I am doing all right. I On a windy uh, Thursday night, Wednesday night. Yeah, I'm all, today's a Wednesday. I'm not, all backwards. Not that the listeners care, because in theory, they, in theory, they're listening to this in four days, which is like a oh, quick math Saturday, something yeah, like that. <laughs> something like that. Where Cody Hoffman, how are you doing? I. I'm also doing it. It's been weird. It is now warm out, and two days ago it was sub freezing, and we literally had snow again. So I don't know what's going on. You're absolutely it's just right. Boun- it's bouncing around. If you guys came here for uh, retro video games and weather, you're in the right place. <laughs> uh, everything retro and retro inspired, video game related. Uh, I am your host, Cody Hoffman. And I am Eric Nelson. And we are the entertaining portion of the show, and uh, Tim will join us later on to provide some factual information, which some of you crave. I don't know why. (laughs) Uh, This is episode one here in March, April, May, and uh, we'll have another one coming out on the 30th. But coming up in this episode of Pixel Gaiden, we are going to cover... Uh, a number of exciting topics. Of course, we are going to cover news. Of course, it's not always modern news, but it's news to us, Eric. Some of Correct. it's modern. Some of it's modern. Yep. Um, I do have a Cody's News of the Weird segment. Ooh. Yay. Uh, Eric, you have a take today. What are you going to be talking about? Adventures in... What is this? Adventures in retro, retro, retro. <laughs> so I covered three short stories of real... Things that have happened to me since my retro revival 13-ish years ago when I started collecting. Okay. I have 13 unique stories, which I hope will be entertaining. Well, I am excited to hear that. Um, Our boy Tim will not be with us live this episode, but he will join us next episode on 30th. Uh, However, he is doing a tea time with Tim. You will hear just after Eric's take. And that is going to be on uh, my retro collection history. And when I say my, I don't mean mine. I mean Tim's. Yeah. Um, so you guys kind of have some yeah, some storytelling going on. I like it. I like it. Those are my favorite ones. Uh, we are also going to be covering six good games this episode. Eric, right at the uh, very end there. And six what did we games. cover there? I'm going to let you say it because I always have a hard time saying what you... Because you picked the topic, so why don't you say? Hey, well, here's what's funny about it. I did pick the topic, and when I saw your... I literally came in here to put my notes into into the, the page, page we have here. When yeah. I saw your choices, I'm like, shoot, I did not describe it well enough, and that's on me. Okay. But nonetheless, it's 80s arcade games that today's kids would enjoy. 
Yeah. Simple, simple enough. Simple enough. And, and I'll get more into details about what I was hoping to, how I was hoping to put it, but it'll be good. We, we're talking about games. That's the idea. We talk about games. Yes. Um, and, um, yeah, that's everything this episode, I think. So, uh, next episode on the 30th, stay tuned. Cody's Corner will be happening then. We'll, of course, have Tim join us for a game show, as we like to do. I've got a new type of game show this time, Eric. I'm excited. I'm excited. All right. Um, of course, <laughs> we will catch up on our retro gaming goodness. And we have a battle of the systems. And it, it is a battle of the billiards, actually. It is. It is uh, on the PC. It is, it is Sharky's 3D Pool. Okay. It's on okay. the PC. And then on the Amiga, it is, uh, what is that dude's name? Um, it's Jimmy <laughs> Whirlwind Snooker. That's right. Jimmy, Jimmy White. Jimmy right? White. Jimmy White's Whirlwind Snooker on the Amiga. Yep. Which snooker. I think was covered recently. I think, was it ARG Presents or the Amigos? I don't remember which one, but they did talk about that a couple months ago, I think it was. I'll, put, I'll be I, honest with you. I'll put it this way, uh, Eric. Uh, yeah. tip, typically, when I any any show, even the really good ones I like, like the Amigos, um, when they do a one game episode, if it's a game that doesn't interest me, I don't listen to that particular episode. Yeah, that's so, fair. Um, I did not listen to the Snicker episode, but I went ahead and played it for our show. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I did listen to it, and I I took some of the feedback they had about the game and used it. I, I knew what to look out for, I guess to say. Gotcha, gotcha. So it was interesting. Well, that is what's coming up this month on Pixel Guide In. But right now, as we like to do at the beginning of every episode, we're going to jump right on into Quick Questions. Quick Questions! And on this extra special edition of Quick Questions, um, Tim is coming to us live from the past in our notes <laughs> live from the past yeah <laughs> um go ahead and beat him for this episode eric what, what do you have to say tim sure as we are coming into the nice weather do you find it harder to find time to play games also are there any games you play more in the summer than the winter quicker to play games in the summer over longer games in the winter my answer so, is no i don't think i have any <laughs> I don't think nope. any of that has any bearing on on me. I have time to play games when I make time, and when I don't, I don't. And whether it's cold out or warm out or dark early or dark later, I don't think it really affects anything. It's a very boring answer, but this is the truth. Yeah, so for me, it used to. It used to have a big impact. I used to play RPGs in the winter. Like, I loved really? playing RPGs in the winter. And... Uh, in longer games like a Far Cry, let's say. Um, now, why? Why? What would, what would? It was mainly because it got you know it got dark sooner, so you know everyone would kind of retire and go do their own thing in the house, and I would just come up and play games, play the longer. I, I really don't know because, I mean, back in those days, I would play the games like like no, a normal person would. Like I'd play for an <laughs> hour or or three at a time. But I will tell you this, this question is moot now because the podcast has ruined that whole thing <laughs> because now I'm busier than ever and I play in little 15 minute half hour increments at the most. And you have to play and, what we've chosen. And we'll play what we've chosen. And honestly, I just haven't been able to get into a lot of RPGs because they're too much of a time commitment. Um, but the games like Far Cry and things like that, which I still love to play. 
I just do it in little windows now, so it doesn't matter anymore. So to answer the same as you for Tim's question, it doesn't matter anymore. I don't, I, I don't anymore for the last probably three years. Yeah. I'd love to get to the, to the point where I'm like, man, what am I going to do with these couple of hours? Yeah. Like, whoa, that'd be a fun, a fun life choice. Um, <laughs> Paul, AKA Hermski is a, uh, a, uh, has another one here for us. He actually has a two parter. It's a two part yeah. question. And I appreciate this question. It's good. Part one. Are there any games you thought you were better at playing after a beer or two? <laughs> or is being sober the only way for better reactions? Now, I, I couldn't tell you a specific game, but right. I'd say in general, um, I, I this is going to sound really bad. I would say in general, I am best at playing games after a beer or two. Yep. Because they kind of help you hyper focus. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're on edge and you're completely sober and you're like, you know, trying to play like, especially like shmups or fast reaction games, right? Right. Um, you're twitchy and you're like jumpy. Yeah. After a couple of beers, you just kind of like you're half paying attention and half just yeah. kind of enjoying life and just pressing the buttons and you're like, oh, cool. I got to stage four. I've never gotten here. That's cool. Right. <laughs> right. Um, let, so when I am sober, I am so angry that I have a hard time playing any <laughs> game. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh-oh. Um, Where's my intervention sound effects button? <laughs> intervention! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Eric's intervention. Um, oh, we need to add that to the soundboard. It's so dark. <laughs> um, no, but the, the truth is I agree with you 100%. It, is, it isn't any game specific, but w- I will tell you my, my favorite gaming times solo, of course, when when we play multiplayer stuff, I love that the most. But when I'm home and play solo stuff, and my favorite times have been when no one's in the house, like some you know, like everybody in the family went out to do something, and I'm home intervention alone. Intervention time. <laughs> yep. And I crack open the beer. I crack open a beer. I drink it. I play. I crack open another one. I play it. That's my favorite gaming time is yeah. doing that. I love that. And and you're right. It. It just it puts you in the zone. You think it wouldn't, but a, a nice beer or two puts you right in the zone to play. Yep, yep, yep. Especially when you got a when you got a a sweet arcade game of uh, oh gosh, I'm forgetting our favorite golf game on the Neo Geo right now. <laughs> oh, it's killing me. Oh, now now you're not going to be able to remember it because I put it that way. Anyways, that game, right. Neo Turf Masters, my goodness! Oh, there, got oh, it quick, man. got it quick. I love that game. That game's a chill game. Yeah, I you love sit there with it. a with a with a beer. Put the ring on your arcade machine, the little wet ring that, not, that your wife would smack you across the face if she saw you put on the wood furniture. <laughs> exactly. Put it right on the arcade machine. Um, part Eric, two. There's a part two to this question, which I'll get to right after I tell you guys about RetroRewind.ca. Yeah, your one and only place. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Your best place <laughs> to exactly. start looking for anything Commodore and Tandy Color Computer Coco related. Um, Frank over at RetroRewind.ca has all kinds of awesome things for you guys to dig into. Uh, currently featured is the new A630 Revision 2 Amiga 600 Accelerator, which is the perfect way to show some love to your Amiga 600. Um, this is the latest and greatest, and um, I think some of those might have made its way out to some of the Pixel Guide and crew, which we may or may not talk about later. Um, exactly. 
really good. If you price. have a, if you have one of them Furia accelerators, pop it out, T- take it out, toss it like a frisbee. Pop this, pop one of these in there because the Furia does have a serious problem of popping loose off of the processor. Um, it's not a bad accelerator, although there are some weird weirdness to it and inc- incompatibilities. But this A six thirty revision two, one f- for one thing, it has active cooling on it. So it not only has passive with the heatsink, it has a fan on there to keep it nice and cool. Um, I've seen it go into an A600. Uh, Doug from 10 Minute Amigro Retrocast has a great video on I, this I watched that, yeah. And I learned a lot about the accelerator compared to the Furia, which I have on my 600 right now. Um, yep. Well, I probably don't. It's probably loose in the case right now. <laughs> exactly. 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 Um, but this it, it this looks like the answer. So, um, Very cool. and, and I, I, yeah, and I think you and I talked a little bit about this. Um, I never sell anything, but I'm probably going to sell my Furia just because I don't need to. A600. More about that to come. But also remember yep. that sure. uh, RetroRewind.ca has your Amigos, Amigos, Amiga OS Kickstart ROMs. Yes, they do. Uh, and another item that we want to make sure you remember, they have the entire C64 and C128 diagnostic harnesses for your Commodore computer. We'll tell you a little more about Retro Rewind later on in the show. But just know, if you go there, use code PG10, that's P as in pixel, G as in guide N, 10, for 10% off your entire, that's right, Eric, your entire order at RetroRewind.ca. Absolutely. Part two, Eric, from uh, Hermsky's question here yeah. is, do you have any games that look better after a beer, also known as beer goggles? You want to answer that first? I, mean, I definitely have an answer. Do you really? Oh, I have yeah. A, I have a funny answer, but I can't honestly say like, oh, there's one game I can't stand, but after enough beers, man, I get over it. But your answer is going to be like everything Nintendo 64, huh? <laughs> No, <laughs> that's the Vaseline goggles, right? The Vaseline goggles. Yeah, they already pre-apply the beer goggles. Exactly. So, what's your answer? I don't have an answer. I don't know. Oh, I, you don't I'm have gonna, an answer. I'm gonna say oh, I any, thought you were teasing me. I don't. I don't have an answer. I, I mean, any, so any, I, anything. I'll, I'll say anything on the original PlayStation because it has those hard, jagged lines that I just can't handle, and maybe I'll just forget about them or something. I have, and this is proven. This is uh, I have a, a proven track record on this all atari 2600 games are better after you've had a few to drink um and seriously because i like the atari 2600 but i never the games you know come on we can be honest the games for the most part are pretty rudimentary but it says what games look better yeah but you're telling me that when you're playing adventure when you when you have a couple of beers do you actually see a dragon rather than a big yellow duck i do i mean it's after (laughs) it's after six beers but yes Oh, man. After six so, bears and apparently some edibles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will get back to a couple more quick questions in the next episode. I guess we got one here from Amigo Aaron and one from Pajaco. Yes. I'm sure they will be very poignant and uh, responsible questions for us to answer. <laughs> um, Eric, we're at the part, of the part of the show where we drink the beer. Oh, I love this part. And we uh, talk about the errata and feedback that we've had recently because we need a beer when we talk about that all the mistakes we've made we do we do um all right so I'm go ahead my and, uh, oh, he's getting you're getting his cup on here everybody's got the cups but they ain't chipped in i am unzipping my yeti here <laughs> and ugh, 
Off the microphone. Don't worry about it. <laughs> there we go. Scintillating podcasting. I have with me uh, a Modern Times beer. I love Modern Times. They make good stuff. Yes, we've had a, several of them. They make really good sours. I enjoy. But this one is called the Orderville. Oh, that's uh, a new one, right? Hazy Mosaic IPA. All right. Um, what's a, we have a local... Um, a local what do you call it supermarket down the street here and they you know they're they're a small kind of small town supermarket so they're a little, little pricier and they uh have some pretty good beer selections but every once in a while they'll they'll discontinue a beer from their beer selection when, when they do they get you know a, a four pack of these which normally goes for 11.99 was like blown out for 6.99 so i got like three three four packs sweet and that's yeah. a tall boy too right oh of course it is come on yeah pixel guide <laughs> What are you sipping right. on? So what what I am having is a Samuel Smith's organic chocolate stout. That sounds good. And uh, I know we've had many, a couple of Samuel Smith's beers in the past. Um, this one starts off with brewed with water from the original brewery, well sunk in 1758. That kind of has me worried a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, is that a selling point? Yeah. <laughs> Did they have water filtration back then in 1758? I don't probably, know. There's probably a body or two down there. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, it looks like it could be good. It's got a picture of a cocoa, like chocolate cocoa beans on the front. Mm, cacao. 70% cacao. Cacao. All right, Eric. All right, I'm gonna you are pouring away there. Yep. Um, and now that you're ready, all I have to say to ready. you... My friend, it's cheers. Cheers. And this is organic. I like that. I like that. Eric, I like that you like that. (laughs) It's important what you put in your body. My book Um, club really likes that. (laughs) Yeah, this is a a good, solid hazy. Uh, Very drinkable. Mm. This one is very creamy, very smooth. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a very a big creaminess to it, which I wasn't expecting. I would say this um, one's almost um, almost sparkly. It's almost, uh, if anything, almost a little too carbonated. But decent, very decent. Yeah, this one is very much in, a, in the stout tradition. Um, very chocolatey, very chocolatey. Chocolate right really? up front. Yeah. All right. So well, what are we gonna let's let's what are we gonna uh, rate these out of? Well, Eric, I think I would say that you are unfortunately, and we're gonna try to change this soon enough. Um, if I had to guess, I would say that you're currently like sixty-seven miles away. That's right. That is so correct. Out of sixty-seven miles, how far is that beer making you travel? <laughs> out of sixty-seven, I'm gonna give this a forty-four. Forty-four for- miles. I'm gonna go forty-eight on this one. So. Okay, there's our so beer like, review yeah that's it um well let's go ahead and hear what people uh told us we screwed up on right perfect go, go for this first, go first. One, Eric. so this is from alexisms which is a, a fellow that i have lots of conversations with about the show uh on twitter he he he, he I, I i do i really appreciate his feedback because he listens to every one of our shows and and talks about what each of us kind of brings to the table and, and <laughs> or doesn't uh, in my case or doesn't <laughs> for this one, what I didn't bring to the table, but 
because he said he, he actually said, Eric, you're better than this <laughs> when, when, he, when he was talking about this, which I appreciate. Um, and he was right. And he was right. And I, I know this, but I did mispronounce it. When we talked about Laura Croft, her name is Laura, L-A-R-A, not yeah. Laura. And I said Laura a lot. Um, I know better. I know that her. it's obvious because, I mean, her name's plastered on the Tomb Raider boxes and stuff like that. But I did mispronounce it, and I admit it. So there, there it is. That's Laura interesting. Croft. I don't think I ever would have pronounced L A R A as anything but Laura. That's how I say that. <laughs> yeah, I guess and, Laura. and it's not. It is Laura. Laura Croft. All right. I got number two here from okay. Tim in the intro to episode eighty-one. That would be our last episode. <clears throat> yes. Uh, it said that uh, Tim did the game show, but of course, Eric's awesome game show, it was, and he beat Cody. So really, he just wanted me to say again that Tim, <laughs> I mean, who cares? Okay, whatever, Tim, but I get it. You beat me. All right. And I, I did hear that because I was listening to the episode 81 in the car, and, and uh, I, in the beginning, you had mentioned that Tim had a game show. Here's the truth. I, I heard it, too, when I was editing it, and I'm like, shoot, I need to remember to go back and do that, and I just forgot. So I just forgot, and it's not that big of a deal. I just want to talk about Tim beating me again because you're so awesome, Tim. <laughs> But it was a fun game show. I, I I enjoyed being the game master. I'm not sure it was so fun being the game player, but it was fun. It was a good time. The game good master time. was fun. You got this last one here. Yep. Also, C- Cody taking Desert Island systems What's and been games. Talking. Did Tim write this or did you write this? Yes, this looks like Tim still. Okay. Also, Cody taking Desert Island system and games. Legend of Zelda game is linked to the past, not yeah. link between two worlds. Although you should register a trademark on that one, just in case Nintendo are listening and nick the name. Well, there you go. You know, the funny thing I will tell you, I think I have mislabeled a game called Between Worlds. I think I've I've said Link to the Past, not Link Between Worlds. I I think, is there a game called Link Between Worlds? Sounds like one. It should be. I'm going to quickly go ahead and uh, grab that website. Exactly. So, so Nintendo has to pay me literally fives of dollars to get it. <laughs> well, there's our erotic and feedback, Eric. So let's go yes. ahead and let people know how they could become potentially um, in touch with us or become a patron. You can get Sweet. show information on our podcast at pixelguiden.com. You can also listen to our show on the Amigos Retro Gaming Network at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. You can reach us on Twitter using at pixel underscore guiden. You can reach Eric at the project. That's at D-U-H-P-R-O-J-E-C-T. And you can reach Cody at oddball, which is at O-D-D-B-A-1149. You can also reach me, that's Tim, at Sanxion, and that's at S-A-N-X-I-O-N. Please review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcatchers that you use. It really helps us out. You can email us on podcast at pixelguiden.com. And we'd love any feedback. And also, please let us know if we've done anything wrong and we'll mention it on the next show. We also have a Patreon account set up, so if you wish to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. You can support us with as little as a dollar all the way up to infinite dollars. 
If you do so, you'll get access to the Amigos Retro Network Discord server, where all kinds of cool chat is happening about not only our show, but the other shows, such as Bright Castle and, of course, the Amigos, um, amongst other shows. And there's various other topics in there, um, everything from for sale to music to uh, high score contests, things like that. If you support us at the $3 or more tier, we like to announce every supporter at that level here on the show in a way that we can only do here on Pixel Guide N using our random adjective generator. And this month on Pixel Guide N, we're taking a time machine back to the funky 70s. We talking Pixel, Pixel Guide N. We talking Pixel, Pixel Guide N. The ancient Henry Lopez. The organic rug building. The Pequin Matthew Ackerman. And the unwritten Josh Malone. Yeah, 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 yeah. The detailed 10 minute mega retrocast. And the bright Daniel James. The handy Eric Sandgren. The lethal David Molak. The empty retro camera nation And the agonizing marches of Snapsky We talking Pixel Pixel got in We talking Pixel Pixel got in, yeah Luxurious David Vincent. The ad hoc paradroid. The changeable Aunt Stiller. And the dead Mr. Toast. The hysterical Jason Holland. The truculent Mark Scott. The joyous Amy This is Eric, and for this episode of Eric's Take for the month of May, 
I decided I wanted to talk about my adventures in retro, which will be uh, three short stories about uh, things that have happened to me since getting into retro. So these are not stories about things that happened to me back in the day. But these are things that have happened to me after I got back into retro. I I got back in maybe 13, 12, 13 years ago. Uh, But these three stories kind of stick out in my mind, and they have been something I've wanted to put into an Eric's take for a little while now. And I have no notes on these. These are all coming straight from memory. So I apologize if I hem and haw a little bit uh, as I try to recollect these stories. Um, But here they go. So the first one was a Mac Classic that I bought probably about eight years ago. Uh, So the Mac Classic, for people out there that might not know what those are, those are the kind of all-in-one Macs where the screen and disk drives and stuff are in this kind of tall uh, case. And then there's, of course, a keyboard and mouse that are are, uh, wired to it. But the whole console is in a set. So basically, um, this this is an Apple from kind of way back. Uh, black and white. This was just one of the original Mac classics. There was a Mac classic color. But anyway, I got it on Shop Goodwill. And like I said, this was nine years ago, I paid $25 for it, which blows my mind. Now the the ad on Shop Goodwill did say that they couldn't test it. They said that the lights came on when they booted up, but they, they weren't able to test it. I was willing to take that shot. They shipped it and they shipped it poorly. Yeah, it wasn't packaged real well. Uh, I was surprised that it wasn't cracked or anything like that when it arrived. But um, I put it all together. I, I Before that, I had gotten an Apple II GS, so I actually did have the keyboard and mouse for it. It didn't come with it. So plug all that in, boot it up, and boom, came right up. Uh, very pleasant to hear that. Now, the hard drive was making a... You know, it was louder than usual, so I figured it was kind of on its last leg. But I booted it up, and much to my surprise, the it had not been wiped in any way. So it was still set up as the original user. And so I did some poking around. I mean, this is my Mac now, so, you know, I, I definitely wasn't going to share anything on the Mac, and I'll, I'll get to that point later. But... I wanted to kind of look and see what software was on here. And I found an, um, a version of Quicken and Word and Excel were on there from very, very early versions of that. Um, and so I started to dig into it and I found out that this had been owned by a woman that had retired and she retired back when this Mac classic was, uh, out. So, you know, she probably, I mean, if I had to guess, she probably passed away and this had either gone to some estate sale or literally been recycled or thrown out. Um, so she, you know, she was in a retirement that would have placed her in her retirement age in the eighties. So, you know, I had gotten this recently. So, you know, I looked through her quick, you know, I opened up QuickBooks and it opened right up into her, her personal details uh, showed her balance, showed her retirement kind of calculations about how much money she was taking out for retirement. Um, and it showed and and on this Mac were letters to her family. Uh, there were letters to her son and daughter. And it made you realize that people really do. 
th- their computers are very, very personal to them. And, you know, I was kind of, you know, I only spent about a day looking through the digital artifacts I found on this Mac. And I, 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 part of me felt really bad that I was looking through it like I was invading her privacy, even though it wasn't her Mac anymore. But at the same time, it is a, um, you know, it, it really is a warning that when you give away any kind of electronics or if you have a family member that passes away, you really want to cleanse these things because there is, was a lot of very personal information on this. And, but this woman struck me as someone who was very much into technology. She embraced this Mac. I saw, you know, lots of letters and things like that to her, her, her son um, I saw a lot of uh, very thoughtful things on this. So anyway, it, it it left me with a very strange feeling. And then I but at, but the, the biggest feeling I felt was I really wanted to try and protect her privacy. So the next day I formatted the drive. In fact, I formatted it, pulled it out, destroyed the hard drive and replaced it with a um, with a, uh, like, uh, it was like a SCSI to SD solution. Uh, but I didn't copy a thing out of it. I didn't, I literally just kind of spent an evening absorbing almost like the story of this woman's life as I looked through this Mac and then put it to bed and closed it. So that's, that's my first story. Um, my second story is a little, I guess, stranger <laughs> to put it, uh, to put it mildly was, uh, this, this probably happened f- I would say four years ago. I saw an ad in Craigslist and it was for a lot, uh, a lot of Commodore 64 stuff. So they said software, um, bought boxed software, uh, hardware, uh, Commodore 64 items, this and that. And I think they wanted $150 for it. And it was in my local area. And when I say local, I live in the greater Sacramento, California area. But this was like within five miles. These never come up. So even four years ago, these, these, these very, very, very rarely come up. And when they do, you call and, of course, it's already been sold. So... I saw this the very first day I said, Hey, I am very interested in this. And the first thing that struck me as odd was the guy sounded very young. And, um, I I don't want to disparage. Well, I mean, I'm going to disparage him (laughs) later in the story, but let's just say he had a very weird, um, ah, gosh, a weird, very weird behavior about him on the phone. In fact, he, you know, usually when I go and do these things, people are like, okay, here's my address. Come meet me and take a look at these things. Well, this guy was like, well, I want to meet in a Taco Bell parking lot. And it was very close to my house. I mean, I'm talking a five minute drive. So I re- agreed. And I said, I would, I'll meet you in the Taco Bell uh, parking lot. No problem. Uh, I drive over there and show up and I wait and I wait and he never showed up. I think we, I, I, I remember it being like, a, you know, 10 a.m. or something that he wanted to meet. I, I waited, waited, didn't hear back. So I went home, just figured he flaked out on me. 
And so I decided just to try him one more time. So I called him back and he sounded like he didn't remember me, which was very odd. And he said, no, I still want to sell it. So meet me there, you know, tomorrow, same time. Got in the car, went there. And this time when I arrived, he was there and it was very odd. It was a, in, in a parking spot. So, you know, one spot was laid out on the ground, a bunch of plastic bins. And I'm talking maybe seven or eight plastic bins and a few cardboard boxes here and there. And there was a kid there, probably couldn't have been, I would say, couldn't have been older than 22, 23 years old, had his girlfriend with him, and they looked strung out on something. So they were, I would assume, on something like meth or something. And I just thought, well, this is kind of an odd for someone selling a, you know, a Commodore 64 lot. And so I told him hi, and I said, um, you know, yeah, I'm interested. And I started to look through the things, and there was uh, two Commodore 64s, several disk drives, a 1581, um, a 1541, um, boxes, I mean, plastic bins and bins and bins of boxed software, which that's one of the first uh, lots that I had seen with actual authentic boxed software. And I thought that was awesome. So I started looking through it. And I got, was getting really excited and I was like 150 bucks. And the only problem is I, I didn't know if any of the hardware worked at all. Um, oh, and another thing, there were boxes of manuals, uh, programmers guides, um, books, all those old computes books that were published by computes and computes gazette, uh, for the Commodore 64 just massive amounts of books, some of which I had had when I was younger. And I, I do love books like that. Uh, but there was just joysticks and modems and just a bunch of stuff. So I was like 150 bucks. And I was like, well, yeah. Um, you know, I, I said, Hey, so I, do you know if this equipment works? And <laughs> this reminds me, I don't know if, if, um, if you'll understand what I'm talking about, but there was this uh, sketch that uh, Dave Chappelle did on a show where he was kind of like this crack addict and he would scratch his neck like, like he was jonesing and literally this guy was scratching his neck and just like, like I could see he was antsy and I don't know if I, I don't know what was going on, but I said, the guy was like, Oh, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And he was like, I could just tell he was getting so anxious. And so I told him, well, if I don't know if these stuff, if this stuff works, uh, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know if I want to buy it. Tell you what, I'll give you a hundred bucks for the whole lot. And he's like done. And, and I gave him a hundred bucks and I piled all these boxes and bins in my car and I went home and it turned out the Commodores worked. Uh, the 1541 did not work out. The 1581 worked and that's the one I shipped to Tim uh, so that's the, <laughs> if Tim's listening, that was your, um, that was the one you got, um, when it arrived to Tim, it didn't work. So I figured that maybe it was on his last leg, but he was able to fix that pretty quick. Um, but anyway, I got that home and a lot of those boxed games are the ones I sent to Tim again. Uh, cause I know Tim collects those and some of those were pretty rare, um, and some of them were just pretty cool and still in really great shape. So I sent a lot of those to Tim, 
but I still have boxes of the books out there and things like that. Now that's not the, that's not really the story. I mean, it was a weird kind of, you know, how acquiring them was a story in itself. But the real story is again, when I started sifting through this stuff, I found the guy's name and I don't remember his full name and I wouldn't give that on the air anyway, but I know his name was Robert something. And a story started to form just like in that first uh, story I told you about the Mac, this guy, when he was younger, probably in, in his 20, late twenties, early thirties, when he was in the Commodore 64, just started collecting and programming. He was learning programming because there was a, there's a, there was a Pascal in there and, uh, and basic and extended basic and, and all of this stuff and manuals and stuff. And, all in great shape, but there was actually um, a copy of Little Computer People in there, and it gave the guy wrote his name in it and his address and all this information. And I found out that where that Taco Bell was, he lived in a community that backed up against that Taco Bell, and his full address was in there. And after that, like many days after that, I kind of drove by his house, and it just looked like a house. I mean, there was nothing going on in there, but. I kind of don't know what the story was. Was this his son? Was it somebody who won an estate sale and just got all this crap? I really have no idea, but I found it just piecing the stories together. I mean, this guy had played a lot of the games, had taken notes. I found a lot of notes in the games, uh, handwritten notes. Um, just, I, 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 you know, I always just feel like I want to know the story behind these things and, uh, but I didn't get any further than that, but that to, to the, to date for a hundred dollars for all that stuff. And I still have uh, boxes out in the garage of stuff from that lot was one of the great, great acquisitions I've had. But I actually contemplated for a little while, just trying to see if the guy was still there and maybe this stuff got sold uh, uh, from out from underneath him. I have no idea, but you know, it is what it is. I, 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 I have those things now. And, uh, from the lot, from the look of it, for me, when I drove by the house, there wasn't really, um, I, I don't think the original guy lived there, but who knows? I have no idea. Um, so anyway, that was my second story. My third story is perhaps the one that's going to shine the worst light on me. <laughs> and maybe you'll disagree, but, uh, and I, my heart was in the right place found another this now this was longer ago so like i said that other one was maybe four years ago or so this one was a little longer um this one happened maybe gosh i don't know i want to say maybe seven years ago uh, maybe a little longer i don't know my memory's kind of fuzzy on this but um i came across another lot now this one was just a commodore 64 a 1541 drive and a huge box of discs and that's all there was. So I get in my car and I go, and I don't even remember how much I paid for it. I don't particularly think it was a great deal, but it was fine. Um, took it home. Commerce 64 did not work. I remember that, uh, the 1541 did not work. That's fine. I, I enjoy finding these out in the wild cause I'll either fix them or use them as donor parts. So anyway, got that, but there was this large cardboard box filled with discs and probably, I don't know, 150 discs maybe. And what, as I'm looking, th so anyway, I make the deal, nothing more about the story. I don't even remember who I bought it from. It was, 
I think just a kind of nondescript guy, not really nothing to it. Um, get home though. And I started looking at these floppy disks. Well, I had recently heard, uh, Rob Flack O'Hare from the Sprite Castle show talk about his efforts to preserve disks where he would use a zoom floppy to archive disks. And I've heard of other people doing that. Like, uh, there's the guy on archive.org that does that when he gets disks in, he, he makes image copies of them. But I remember Rob talking about it and finding a lot of neat stuff and things like that. And so I want to do that. So I left the discs in my garage for a little while and then I ordered a zoom floppy, got it in and hooked it up to a 1541 and started imaging discs. And as I'm looking through these floppy discs, they are, um, they reminded me a lot of the discs I had back in the day. They were handwritten labels, um, you know, that would just show the games that were on that disc. And then when I would pop those discs in and look, Sometimes that would be what's on there, and sometimes it wouldn't be. Like maybe that they formatted the disc or whatever. Uh, sometimes there'd be more games on there than were like put on the label. Basically, I'm looking through all these discs, and then I'm like, "Well, I'm going to start archiving these." So I pop in my 1541 drive. This little Zoom floppy allows you to hook that up to a PC, and then there's software on the PC that then will just access that 1541, image the disc, and pop it in as a D64 into a folder. And so I just started churning through these. And most of them were games, games I was familiar with that I'd seen before, but it was really cool to see the different crack screens that I hadn't seen in years or different variants of the crack screens. And this guy was like me when I was a, when, when I was a kid, pirated games up the wazoo, you know, just had this huge collection. Uh, and then I came across a disc that had <clears throat> school reports on it. And the guy had was going to a, I think it was a middle school, if I remember right, a middle school in California, but it was a town up north, a small kind of uh, town in the middle of kind of the, wil- not, not wilderness, but not in a city. It was basically like a small, a small town uh in Northern California. And I knew the name of course, cause you'll, you'll find that out later in the story here, but this it had. So in these reports, these school reports had the kid's name. And I, again, I don't remember what it was, what, what the guy's name was and what town, what city he lived in. And they were in there and it, and, and the school name, and I was like, wow, that is really cool. And I looked through these reports, and they're just school reports. Like, I remember one was about uh, water conservation, and one was about um, some kind of animal, and, you know, they're j- just school reports. So so I'm like, really cool. There was nothing, like, crazy personal in any of this stuff, but I came across more discs and more discs of personal, basically, schoolwork that this kid had done. And then there was some other stuff like, uh, I think there was a D and D campaign that he had typed out. I thought was really neat. Uh, just found a bunch of stuff. And anyway, I, so I kept archiving stuff on the zoom floppy until I literally burned up the 1541. And then I tried to do another 5041. And then, um, I, I put the word out on Twitter, like, Hey, I, I'm, you know, I need to fix these, but I'm continuing on. And I remember my buddy on Twitter, Peter Fletcher, he sent me a 1541 to continue the project. And I, I think I got through maybe 50 to 60 discs and then, uh, I'm out of 1541s. They've all 
blown up and I haven't gotten around to fixing any of them. And that was years ago. I need to really get back to that project. But anyway, the, the part about the story that I'm hoping doesn't shed a creepy light on me was I thought, man, if someone found my discs in the future that I had when I was a kid. Now, personal story about Commodore 64 is I gave all my stuff to my sister, my little sister, who was six years younger than I was. And like a whirlwind, all that stuff got destroyed or thrown out. Like she didn't save any of it. So all that stuff is just gone. But let's say somehow that box got into someone else's hands. And I, I, I thought to myself, man, if someone gave me my box of discs that I had back when I was a kid, I would just be elated. I would, that would be like the coolest thing. So I knew this guy's name and I knew roughly where he lived. So I just started, you know, doing some Google on this guy's name and it didn't take me long. I found a guy with that name who was a park ranger or worked for the forestry department or something like that in that town. So I was like, well, that's cool. You know, I didn't find out anything else. But then as I dug further with this guy's name, I found an email address for him for his work email address. And so I thought, well, I'm going to reach out to this guy. Maybe he wants these discs back. Maybe you know that I guess that's my mistake is and I know this probably sounds creepy and it might be and you know I guess I am what I am but um if it had been I always think I I guess what I what I lack is that I lack the knowledge that people might just leave the past behind they're not like me I don't leave the past behind I'm very nostalgic but there are people that probably just leave the past behind and want it to stay there it didn't even occur to me this guy just might have not can does probably do, wouldn't even remember his Commodore 64. That didn't even occur to me at all. But anyway, I drafted this email, and in fact, I even cut and pasted uh, stuff from his report, or maybe it was screenshots. I don't remember, but I basically took excerpts from these reports and just a few little things, and I sent him an email where I was I talked to him about all the preservation stuff I was doing and that I had come across this box of discs um, here in town, which I have no idea how it made it to Sacramento from where this guy lived. Have no idea. Who knows? Um, but I, I just poured it all out in this email, to this guy like, Hey, I, you know, I found these reports. I thought it was really cool. Um, I thought you might like to see it. I thought you'd get, maybe, maybe you'll get a kick out of it. Uh, you know, maybe it is. Well, I waited and I waited. I didn't hear anything back. And then finally, I did get an email from him where he was polite, but basically said, uh, I, I don't know what to do with this. I, I don't remember anything like this. I, I vaguely remember having a Commodore 64. Um, I, I don't want to have, basically he said, and I don't remember the exact email. He said, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I think he kind of felt maybe it was some kind of scam I was trying to pull, which I don't blame him. There's so many scam artists and, and things like that out there these days, but he didn't want to have anything to do with me. And so like, I was like, okay, thanks. You know, blah, blah, blah. And that was that, that was the end of that adventure. But, um, it was a weird rabbit hole to go down and it did teach me a lesson. Like there are people out there don't want to dredge up the past. They don't want, they, they're not interested. So <laughs> it, it, it was a revelation to me because I'm not like that at all, but 
you know, it, it, people are who they are and learned a great lesson from that. But anyway, hope you enjoyed listening to these little adventures in retro. Um, I thank you for listening and I will see you next month. Thank you. Hey guys, how about we take a little break and check with our friend over the pond? That's right. It's Tea Time with Tim. Hi there and welcome to this episode's Tea Time with Tim. Coming up, I'm going to take you on a journey into my retro collection history back in the 90s and also bringing it right back up to date to current day. It's just a small collection, I thought to myself. I'll keep it in the loft. You just never know. That's what I thought to myself back in the mid-90s. I was working at a company called Laser Distribution at the time. This would have been about 1995. The Amiga was on its last legs. The 486 and Pentium PCs were ruling the roost, with the build-your-own PC market very much in its ascendancy. The 8-bit market had all but died a death, and the new age for gaming was PCs and consoles, with the PlayStation just about to be released in the UK. The prices of all the 8-bit computers were at an all-time low, with an abundance of them being almost discarded or sold cheaply in newspaper adverts or, or at car boot sales. I can remember picking up a number of things I had at to this day at car boot sales if you don't know what one of these are it's like a yard sale but here in england we decide to drive out to big fields out of town pay to pitch up in one of the rows of cars you generally fill up your car with all the crap that you no longer want set up a folding table or lay a blanket out on the ground put all the stuff for sale on said display stand and then people will visit the sale looking for a bargain often paying 50p to a pound to get in park up and then walk around the field or hard standing looking at everyone's pitches to see what they can buy. Back in the mid to early 2000s, you could not move for Commodore 64, ZX Spectrums and other 8-bit micros. I often would shake my head in disbelief if someone wanted to charge over £5 for a 48k specy with a bunch of games. C64s? Maybe a little more, but they better had a C2N and a bunch of games if I was going to pay any more than £10 for them. I lost count of the amount of stuff that I walked away from back then. Oh, if only I knew. As the years progressed, the supply of 8 bits thinned out and making way for more people selling off their 16 bits like Atari STs and Amigas. You could often come away with an Amiga A500, fully boxed, with a disc box full of games, a joystick and an external drive for around about 20 to £30. Pounds. Back then the pickings were easy and cheap, but you never thought to pile them up because one day they would be worth three to four times the amount that you paid for them. Then came along eBay. Back at the start of eBay, in around about 2000, you could do pretty much the same thing as a car boot sale, but not having to leave the house. It was cheap and easy to run, and you could often pick up real bargains. My first eBay purchase was actually from America. It was a fully boxed ColecoVision with the turbo wheel and a few box games. I had always wanted one of these, but do you know what? I never even switched it on. Back then, there was no different options like you have now. Like, for example, uh, lots of different types of mod kits to change the console to run composite or your power adapters, simple things like step-up, step-down adapters. I did exactly the same thing with another console that I'd always wanted. I picked up a fully boxed turbo graphics console with a few games so cheap from America. It arrived, I took it out of the box, looked at it, and put it back in the box again, knowing that I would have to find some way to get it working one day. These two items were the real catalyst for starting up the collection fever again. 
So as I mentioned earlier, it was just a small collection of items to start off with, and my budget at the time was very small. Even when things were so cheap, I would be really unhappy if I had to pay more than £20 to £30 for anything. Then one day, I had an idea. By this time, I was running my own computer store in a town called Axminster in Devon. I was riding the wave of the PC boom, pre-PC world stores, when you could build a PC and make a relatively good profit on it around about 30 to 40%. Along with PC stuff, I stocked some consoles, games, and the relevant consoles, and a few PC full-price games. Not a lot, because everything was so expensive back then, with full-price games running to £40 to £50 each. That soon added up if you had around 50 to 100 games in stock. But this gave me a good base of operations, and I was advertising regularly in the local newspaper with the current deals I was doing on building computers. One day, when I was designing an advert... I decided to pop in a small little section at the bottom of the advert offering to take in old computers and consoles. Like, if they were just sitting around in their lofts, bring them in and I will happily take them off their hands for them or even offer a a nice little price for them. Now, I won't say this exactly opened the floodgates of tons of stuff to come pouring into the shop, but once or twice a month, I would get people literally pulling up outside the shop, pop their head around the door and say, I have a boot full of junk here, do you want it? Mostly, it was people wanting to get rid of old stuff that was just taking up space. I admit, I did take in some real trash. But at times, there were some real gems. I can remember several BBC Micros, a Commodore PET, a Colour Genie computer that had a wooden surround and a built-in cassette player. Looking at these now on eBay, they're around about £300 to £400. So my collection was growing, and some of the stuff I would often sell on eBay and make some money. I was running a business after all. There were also times when I would get a call from a customer who wanted to see if I wanted to buy some of the stuff that they had. Two such calls I remember were for Commodore items. The first one was one that I can only describe as a buttload of 8-bit Commodore equipment. It was about a 30-minute drive to where it was located. I turned up and he led me to a back room in the house. The floor of the room was covered, and I mean covered, with Commodore stuff. There were two SX-64s, PET disk drives, 1541 drives, four or five Commodore 64 bo- and Commodore 64s, and boxes of discs and tapes, C2Ns, and lots of connection cables, and all manner of different things. Of course, I had to keep a tight lid on my excitement, looking down at all this stuff. I spent a good hour with him, just chatting and finding out what he used to do with all this stuff. Turns out he used to run his business from it all, in the early to mid-80s, but was now retired and no longer had any use for it. So eventually the moment came to talk money. He asked me what I thought it was worth. I just cast out a silly price, saying £70, thinking he would never take that. But to my surprise, he said yep. I could not hand over the money fast enough and I can remember to this day loading up the car and driving home with the biggest smile on my face but also worried on how I was going to justify all of this stuff with my wife. The second was not long after this one. This time I was browsing the classified adverts and saw that someone had a bunch of Amiga stuff they were clearing out because they were getting money in to upgrade to a PC. They had already got a PC, so I could not work out a deal there. However, I think this worked out better. In this haul, there was two Amiga A1200s, fully boxed, a fully boxed Amiga CD32, a Blizzard 030 accelerator for the A1200, 
external drives, boxes of games and joysticks. I can't remember exactly what I paid for it, but I would say it was no more than £100 at the time. So a little more than all of the Commodore stuff, but still an amazing bargain, even for that time. I still have most of this stuff to this day. The H1200 and CD32 are sat right next to me as I record this. The other A1200 is now in a great home in America with Josh Malone at 48k RAM. And I foolishly sold the Blizzard Accelerator just as the market started its first uptick. I thought I would never need this and advertised it on eBay. I think I got about £120 for it. I have real seller's remorse on this one. Eventually it was time to close up my store but and I ended up selling a bunch of what I had collected. I remember selling a beautiful condition Sony Hitbit MSX fully boxed. I've since repurchased another one. A Super Gun Jammer arcade adapter with a whole bunch of arcade boards. Both SX64s were sold along with all the pet equipment and the other games and controllers. I wish I'd kept it all. All the stuff I had left over went up into my parents' loft for many years, and that's where they stayed, out of sight, out of mind. Very occasionally, I would come across the odd bargain and add that to the pile. Then, in around 2010, I moved into a much bigger house. All my stuff came over from my parents' house and up in the loft here. Again, it just stayed up there with me paying the occasional visit to pop some stuff up there and take a quick peek just to remind myself of what was up there. Then, after a couple of years, I wanted to convert the loft into an office space for myself. This was done, and all the retro stuff was crammed into one corner of the office. What really sparked my revival into the retro scene was meeting up with Rod from The Future Was 8-Bit for the first time. This was a chance meeting through my day job. I had been called out to his office, where he worked uh, to carry out some server installation work. In the corner of his office, I could just see a very little laptop with the Commodore logo on it. I asked him what it was, as I loved anything Commodore. He showed me what it was, and I was blown away. It was the C64P that he had created. If you've not seen this before, it's a Commodore 64 crammed into a little portable laptop. Pop over to thefuturewas8bit.com and take a look. He's got a good write-up on it. We got talking and he said that it also made an SD reader for the C64 called the SD to IEC. I said that sounded really cool and I would love to take a look at that on his website and then went on with my work. Later that day, Rod returned back to the office and handed me a parcel. In it was an SD to IEC and a far slow car along with an SD card stuffed with games. I was so thankful to Rod, and we have been great friends ever since that day. So, me getting back into retro stuff is really all his fault. Of course, receiving the SD to IEC got me up in the loft, digging through all my stuff to find one of my many C64s I still had to get it set up and use the SD to IEC. From this point onwards to the current day, I've expanded my collection to what it is now. If you're a regular listener to the show, you may know this already, but some of the jewels of my collection are the Amiga A3000 that I did a swap with the aforementioned and all-round awesome guy Josh Malone, the Sam Coupe, or Coupe, my Amigas and C64s, and so many other cool things that Eric and Cody have sent me. The big lot of C64 disc games from Eric are so dear to me. Also, the TI-99A and the recent editions of the 3DO and the Famicom that Cody generously sent me and spent time modding to make it easier for me to use. 
I also cannot forget my good friend Gary, who we have swapped several things between us, including the amazing Sharp X68000. One day, I will get this all sorted so I can grab reliable video from it and make a tea time with Tim special for the podcast and YouTube. So there we have it. Just a quick bit of history about my time collecting all this retro stuff. Thank you again to everyone who has helped me in any way on my journey through collecting all this awesome stuff. If you have anything you want to ask or even something you might want to donate to our collections, we would be more than happy to receive them. But I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're planning your next purchase to add to your collection. Or if you're a first time listener and looking to start your own collection, feel free to email the podcast or send us a message on our Twitter accounts and we'll be more than happy to give you some advice. That's it for this episode. Catch you on the next one. It's beautiful. Yay! All right. That was awesome. You did a great job. You like that? You like that? I loved it. Eric, it's time for the news. Reporting the news! So on to topic number one, which is brought Mm -hmm. to us in part by Tim. Um, Apparently, Eric, it's been a Commodore C64. I don't know why I had to say Commodore C64. That's redundant. Release Bonanza. (laughs) Yeah. Out this month are some awesome C64 games and previews, Eric. How about you take this number one here? Yeah, and Tim was kind enough to alert us to these, so I was able to play all three of these. Uh, the first one is a, an amazing version of Empire Strikes Back uh, from Mega Style. 40 years after the Atari and Intellivision games were released, Mega Style is now proud to present to you the Commodore 64 van, fan version of the original Parker Brothers game, Empire Strikes Back. We have tried to remake the Atari 2600 version into a Commodore 64 version but also added our own touch to the game. This game is freaking amazing. I mean, the art art in it. I mean, whether you like the style of the game or whatever, but it visually looks amazing. And the the music and sound effects are top notch. You won't find a better looking and sounding game out there. I mean, it is a beauty. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, oh, and it's fun it. to play. I mean, I, I played it for a good, probably, I didn't have a ton of time with it, probably a good 20 minutes, half hour. Yeah. And it, it was fun. It was just, it's a fun game. It's kind of a, sh- kind of a little uh, horizontal shoot 'em up. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've played the Atari 2600 one. Mm-hmm. And even as a kid, the gameplay itself, I always found kind of, redundant Ooh, i have i have dinner being uh, delivered to me again eric look at this wow this is becoming a now for, we should Thank make you. this a segment where Appreciate i want it. the person interviewed oh it's a nice crunchy taco so that'll be perfect on the mic <laughs> um <laughs> but anyways this the, the gameplay even as a kid when i had you know my original atari that was you know when i was a kid that thing was already like eight years old or something so it was already dated right yeah and there were certain games on there that uh, I fell in love with, and I should have loved the Star Wars game, but the gameplay just never did it for me. And I tried to play it, and I'm like, is this all there is to it? You just kind of go from, like, right to left, try to shoot these things before they shoot you, and then, like, you kind of run in and attack, then dodge away, and then come back again. Yeah. That being said, uh, credit where credit is due, you're absolutely right. The backgrounds in this game look well beyond what a Commodore 64 should be able to do. 
Oh man, it is, um, it's a beautiful game. And you know, when I was eight years old and I played the Atari 2601, after I drank about six beers, it looked a lot like the Commodore 64 hey. one. <laughs> well played, sir. Speaking of those beer well, goggles. Well played. Now, what I do like about this is the original, um, you know, the original game, uh, to, if, I mean, I played, I literally tried to play a lot of it, and it's just shooting the same, um, what do they call those, Imperial Walkers or... Yeah, four-legged that, ones it, that look like a big camel yeah shooting those over and over and over again where this one appears to have little drones that attack the little the little walkers that walk on two legs like a lot more things to attack yeah so it looks like this is going to have uh margin even though it's still a marginal amount of gameplay i would guess a lot more than the original mm-hmm. and there's these flying drones that fly i don't remember okay. in the original one if there were the flying drones that were attacking you but there are in here no I, it was just a camel thing the, the yeah it was just a little atsts and then the ATATs. i don't I, yeah. I get them all mixed up i know rob o'hara would uh, be scolding us right now because he is the largest star wars fan on the planet is he really i don't know how i missed oh, that one man he loves them and he talked about this game on his last sprite castle and uh he would call those two-legged ones chicken walkers yeah yeah i, I, I think, heard him talk about that i heard him talk about that yeah 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 cool anyways it's a great looking game and if you do yep. like star wars and the commodore i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna have to try it um yeah i just you gotta try it's it. got it's that wonderful. defender gameplay which i don't like to begin with yeah you know, whatever um the second one so, tim wanted us to talk about is new rally x yeah um this is uh, an item straight from indie retro news here the original game rally x was an overhead maze game released in the 1980s by namco in which you drove around in a maze-like screen collecting flags for a high score and avoiding other cars or well play place rocks this latest version <laughs> however is by jake 79 is not only coming on really nicely and sounds fantastic even at this preview stage but the game is well on its way to completion and we might have a final version in the near future. All right, so this is future news. It and is, but I played we... it, and it, it it was. I don't know if it's out now or what, but the version I played seemed like it was a final version. It played fine. Yeah, sound was great. I do love Rally X. I played Radar Rat Race on my original VIC twenty, which is pretty much the same game, but with a mouse. It really is car. similar. Yeah. Um, but when I played this, it. It seems complete to me, but I might be totally, totally wrong on that. It It's awesome. It plays great. Maybe they're just working yeah, on I mean, like some AI stuff or something to make it, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks like, looks like Rally X. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty rudimentary arcade game to begin with, but it's, it's one of those games that is just an all-time fun game. Uh, I... I, I enjoyed my time with it. Played it about the same amount of time, 20, 30 minutes. Loved it. If you like ports, this game is for you. Yes. And then the last one Tim wanted us to mention. I, are we reading like the wording straight from... Is he just pasting the wording straight from Indie Retro News in here? Or is, <laughs> or is Tim writing so. this for us to read? <laughs> so I think we're ripping off Indie Retro News Well, we're giving right credit now, so where credit's we're giving due. Full so. credit, yeah. Uh, but it, the next one is Munchkin 64, uh, which is Munchkin was a great game on... What was it? The Odyssey 2? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a game that is kind of kind of similar to Pac-Man, but where the, it's a Pac-Man clone. Yeah, the pellets move. Uh, so yes, there are enemies in the maze, kind of chasing you around, but the pellets move as well as the energy pellets, so that you can you know annihilate them. But I did I did play this, and there there is a version that is very very similar to the Odyssey two version, and then there is also an arcade 
uh, version, which is okay. all, all unique and it upgrades the sound and graphics. That's cool. Um, and it looks great. I, I, I had a blast playing this one. I mean, it, it's fun. You know, you'll, you'll be sitting there clearing a level. And then I think by the third level, the maze starts to disappear. So you can't see the walls, but they're there. Yeah, like combat style. Yeah. So you're like, oh, man, you're, and you're fumbling around the maze. I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Cool. Um, I had one also from Indie Retro News, by the way, but I thought this was cool. This one's fairly new piece of news, and I typically don't like talking about games that are not released. They're coming up and coming. Yeah. But I don't hear a lot of new releases for the TI-99-4A. Nonetheless, True. ones that are actually like very impressive. Yeah. And there is a pinball game coming out. And have you seen this? It's, it's, I saw it on Indie Retro News, yeah. Yeah, super cool. Um, it's not like they're straight up trying to copy... Um, what was it like pinball fantasies or anything like that but it's got that vibe it's got the 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 big score across the top and the screen that that uh scrolls vertically when the ball you know follows the ball around so you can see the whole play field nice and big it looks really impressive for the ti 9944 ti-9944a i can't talk ti-9944a yeah i mean it really i mean you it's amazing it's not pinball fantasies but it 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 looks like a very good pinball game but but i mean it's definitely it's definitely taking the visual aesthetic from pinball fantasies the way it scrolls mm-hmm. the way it shows everything the way the correct the, yeah um, and the smooth scrolling it's got very smooth scrolling um it's the when i when i saw this i kind of thought to myself it's almost like a cross between an 8 and 16 bit version hmm. like let's let's call it a 12 bit version 12 <laughs> <laughs> No, it looks cool. I'm excited. I want to give that one a shot. No, I think it looks great. I I, I didn't get to listen to the sound, though, and sound goes a long way for me in pinball, so I, oh, I'm eager to true. try it out. That's true. Another one from Indie Retro News, or really... Uh, <laughs> Front-loading the Indie Retro News. <laughs> exactly. Scorch, a Scorched Earth clone, gets another preview for the Atari XL. And the reason I wanted to bring this up was one of the very first games I ever played on the PC when I had a very early PC, I think I had a 286. Um, I, I was up 386. One of my favorite games was scorched earth. I love that game. I played it for hours. It's a very simple artillery style game where there's two people and you're shooting. You have to pick the angle of attack and then you pick the power of your projectile and then it shoots and you hit. It's, and a, then, it's a nerd's dream. It's a physics game. Yeah, like I'm going to learn about parabola and wind and physics. Parabola. (laughs) (laughs) I loved Scorched Earth. I and I played, and then when I got um, when I when I got back into retro, and I got uh, you remember I got that Tandy up and running. Yeah, yeah. The Tandy EX. That was one of the first games I I I I got to load up on it, and I loved. I just sat there and played it for like an hour. Loved it. So. or I think we're going to have to have a, a, a scorched earth or artillery tournament when Tim gets over here. Yeah, that would it's be fun. Be I love that. Winner plays next. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, here it is. It's on the Atari 8-bits, which will be a lot uh, less uh, tinkering to get up and running. So if mm-hmm. it was on the Atari 8-bit, it would be very easy for me to just pop it up and start playing it. So yep. I'm really looking forward to this. It was artillery. And the, the little preview looks good because I grew up with the Mac, and it was artillery. And when every time you said yeah. "scorched earth," now I know what you're talking about. Is yeah, and every platform has a version of this game, and it is called something different on every platform. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. Ah, uh, moving on to the next item. Yep. Um, 
I'm not even going to click on this, but long story short, it's kind of uh, <laughs> high time we uh, we got to this point. But Atari finally officially gets out of Atari Coin and its hotel uh, hotel chains that it said it was going to do. Yeah, it, it seems like it was just yesterday I heard about this, so I'm really surprised they're already announcing that that's a dead thing. What's funny is is the Atari Coin still exists. So if you bought some and you own it, you can still own Atari Coin. It just has no affiliation with atari anymore yeah and that it's still it's now owned by whatever the existing right holder is to that coin nft whatever garbage i don't know i wonder um, if it's gonna make it worth more that would be interesting well i mean it's virtual so it's there's nothing to be i don't know that's a whole another conversation <laughs> exactly um and then the hotel chain i'm sure i'm sure after watching that uh if disney can't do a star wars hotel and make money off of it how is atari going to do it right. you know exactly <laughs> you've heard about that that uh how that disney i know we've talked about in previously how star wars how star wars hotel was made where you had a a room that looked like you were on a battleship or whatever and <laughs> it was all like role playing and you can go do these different things but it's really i don't think expensive. i've seen that that's pretty crazy anyways yeah. apparently they can't get people to go it's well, really- one thing i if i know disney like i do they, they they're, they're charging way too much so that it's might like be thousands a night. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, of course no one's going to do it. Yeah. What do you think this is? One of your theme parks? Oh, <laughs> exactly. um, Eric, you got this one here. Oh man, this is great. And I think you will be very, very interested Taking in this, Cody. Taking a look. Very, very interested. Getting higher. My <laughs> the title of this article from rock, paper, shotgun is this spaceship shoot 'em up is kind of like vampire survivors. And okay. guess what it is? And I went and bought this $3.99 early access. You start off with the spaceship. So for people that don't know Vampire Survivors, we've talked about this on the show a lot. Um, It is a fantastic game. I love it. We've gotten a bunch of people on Twitter um, hooked on this game and they love it. I know Paradroid, (laughs) one of our Patreon guys is into that, what was into it or still is. Um, But this game is a horizontal, wait, Horizontal, yes. No, vertical. Vertical. Vertical shooter. <laughs> okay. I got them backwards. Um, vertical shooter where you're fl- filing, flying a ship and you collect power-ups and collect gems when you blow up enemies. And it is the same kind of motif where your ship, you don't have, you don't use the fire button. Your, your, auto your fires. arsenal auto-fires depending on what the weapon is and you pick up weapons. And as you, in proximity, you you typically have this little radar thing that spins around your ship and locks onto things and then launches missiles. And then there's all sorts of different weapons, lasers and cannons and automated laser beams. So it is a lot like Vampire Survivors, but it does add a lot. It's not just a clone. It's not just a copy. There is a lot of interesting new stuff into this. And because you're constantly moving, Whereas in Vampire Survivor, you're a guy on a on a playing field that you're running around. Um, this one, you are constantly moving, so there is more of a pressure to move out of the way of asteroids and rocks and stuff like that. Um, it, I, I just got it today, literally like maybe two hours before we started recording okay. the show. So I played it for about a half an hour, and I had a blast with it. It is a it looks, lot of fun. It looks infinitely better as far as the graphics themselves. Yes. Uh, so that's a big one already because the other game just looked terrible. And every time you restart it, I was always like, what am I playing right now? And then you get yeah. caught up in it. But this one looks good to be, to begin with. 
Yeah, and, and, and shooter, the, the, video, the, the video we're watching right now, it, I mean, is very chaotic, which is cool. But when you first start out, it's not nearly as this chaotic. You know, it eases you into it. Um, this guy's got every weapon up the wazoo, but it, it's not this difficult. But it, it follows the same thing. You collect gems. When you collect enough gems, uh, there's a little meter to the left above weapons. And that when that meter fills up, you get to pick from three different options for a new weapon or a new ability like lowering your recharge or whatever. Yeah. So it's a lot like that, but it's a shoot 'em up and it's really cheap right now on early access. The guy keeps adding stuff just like vampire survivors. He keeps adding stuff, keeps improving it. Um, it just dawned on me, Eric, we haven't said the yeah. name of the game yet. Oh, we haven't. We almost, <laughs> we almost got away with not doing it. It's called gun locked gun locked. So gun locked. So, uh, Alexisms. Yeah, exactly. Make, it, make hey, note, he we said the name. It is Gunlust. Yes. <laughs> we, we, we do not have to do the, put this in errata for next month. We did say the name. But, uh, Cody, I thought you would love the, love that. So you should grab it I'm going to grab that. I'm going to grab that yep. for sure. So uh, let's switch here, to another topic, Eric. Which I completely misspelled here in the notes, but it is a... I spelled it There's controller? There's a new controller? switch controller. error. <laughs> A new Switch controller that promises to never suffer from drift. Ever. It actually says so, ever. It, the thing that I like about this a lot is I will say the Pro Controller, the, the official Nintendo Pro Controller, is one of my favorite controllers of all my consoles, of all my modern ones. Um, that thing is rock solid. It's weighty, so it feels great in the hand. Um, I've never had any drift issues with it. The buttons aren't mushy. They feel great. Pro controller, one of the best controllers I have. This one looks a lot like that. It is not from Nintendo, though. It is a third party. Yeah. Um, it's like they bought the mold that they're using yeah. in the factory. It is called, comically, it is called the King Kong 2 Pro Controller. Ooh, King Kong I don't 2. know why. I, I kind of figured they would... Uh, is King Kong a pat? pat isn't that owned by somebody? <laughs> King but, Kong um, Pro Two. It's actually the brand, I guess, is Gullet Kit. Gullet Kit King, King Kong, Kong Pro, Pro Two. Two, and it is supposed to have some patent on some kind of what they call electromagnetic joystick. Cool. Smaller hall sensing electromagnetic joystick. I mean, it it sounds like they're kind of trying to sell me the farm here, but it I I. If it does what it says it does, and it and it responds and works as well as the pro controller, uh, this might be something to look into. Because According it, it looks to like Nintendo Life, it only costs a surprisingly reasonable seventy dollars. Well, that's the pro controller cost that much too. So yeah, yeah. I mean, if it, if it, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I will wait for reviews first. Yeah, same here. <laughs> but I don't own a pro controller yet. But that's honestly that's one of the biggest barriers to entry for any switch controller yeah is uh i've owned an official one that's drifted and uh one of those a whatever something a controllers yeah and uh they both bleh. yep yeah drift so, so i don't want to spend 70 dollars do on a really nice controller that's just going to drift as well yeah um I brought this one up. This is actually a Steam game that came out in 2019, but is now coming out to all the modern consoles, such as the Switch and the PlayStation series of consoles and Xbox. It is called Remote Life, and it is a 2D side-scrolling space shooter for the PC, Ooh. which looks very R-Type-esque. Yeah. But um, if you 
you know, we, we've been joined R-Type Final and stuff recently, but it looks, um, uh, I mean, the graphics look even more, it actually almost feels like an Amiga, like a modern version of an Amiga game to me. It's kind of it got that pastiche of different, like, art assets that work, fit together, but, like, not quite right, but each individually looks gorgeous. Yeah. Um, but anyways, the gameplay looks really cool. There's lots of, um, you know, R-Type's kind of like a puzzler almost. Um, looks like there's even some some areas here that are not auto-scrolling levels, so that's different. Um, I don't know, there's just a lot of creative stuff in here, a lot of different things going on. You kind of have to see it to understand. Uh, it looks really good. <laughs> it does look really good. Visually, it looks good, and it looks like the gameplay is pretty solid. So and it's got this, some... is a, this is available on the Switch too, huh? Yep, it's coming out on the 27th. So before our next episode airs, uh, Eric, this will be out. Um, and it's got a really cool vibe. Um, again, kind of R-type vibe, but heavier on the machinery with like these weird like bio creatures that are clearly like encased in the machinery they've built kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, Definitely has a style of its own. I mean, almost yeah. like... A little Terminator-ish, a little Geiger kind of. I saw some kind of aliens, kind of HR Geiger kind of kind yeah. of uh, deal. So that's so, Remote it, Life, which is currently eighteen ninety nine on Steam. So I'm going to guess it's going to be nineteen ninety nine on PlayStation, Xbox, and probably twenty five dollars on Nintendo because <laughs> Switch yeah. tax. The Switch tax. Cool. I like it. This one uh, is interesting. I have not checked this out yet. Oh, and you need to no. SD an SD card based Dreamcast VMU okay. has been announced. So it's not out yet. It's called the VM2. Uh, this thing is a VMU for the Dreamcast that will fit into the controller. And from what I've read, and I might have this wrong, so I want to reread this. It has a high capacity internal battery as, and it you can do USB charging, um, but. I could have sworn I read that it could also will recharge in the controller. I don't know if that's true. Hmm. I thought I read that somewhere, but I might be wrong. But it is a full VMU that works just as well as any of the other VMUs. But you can put an SD card in it so you can take saves and and literally archive your saves, take them out, put another SD card in. Um, Way cool. that to me is, is awesome. So there it is. External battery charging, yep. charge your VMU with either a USB cable or the dreamcast controller. That's cool. Because that's, so instead that's of the biggest draining, issue, that's the big issue is because you always have it in your controller and you pull yeah. it out and it shuts off immediately. That's the biggest issue yeah, with those it, things. Uh, and I, I don't, I hate replacing those little watch batteries in the VMU. Yeah, no one does it because they, they burn up in like two hours and then, you yeah. know, it's ridiculous. But, and then the backlit LCD screen. That's cool. I will be picking one of these up when it when it is tested. I, and I done. will be picking it up too. Uh, it's Chris is. I mean, it says right in there. Chris is looking at a hundred dollar target, trying to target a hundred dollars for this. Ooh, that's steep. Yep. I mean, I'm so not saying scroll it's not down warranted. a little bit. Let's see. Let's see what it does. Scroll down a little bit. A um, little bit more. Chris is currently looking at a hundred dollar price tag for this device. While it might seem expensive. The ability to just use one VMU with your console and backup saves to your PC in a relatively easy way seems like a fair price of entry. I, yeah. I think it's worth it. I, I, I think because I love the VMU concept. I think it wasn't executed great. Um, I, I would love that. I mean, can you imagine? 
you know those new uh retro fighter dreamcast controllers uh, which i use oh, yeah. mine i love it it's shaped like an xbox kind of controller i could pop one of those in there have a whole modern system of control and memory card i would love that so i i will i would drop 100 bucks on this I, i'm not saying i won't i'm just saying i don't i don't think most people will we're we're uber nerds Fair. in that in that uh, i can yeah. see it 50 40 or 50 is where i think the uh the market would be for the most sweet part. spot yeah but you know i get it i get that uh i'm not yeah. i'm not complaining at the guy i'm not going to pull these i hear a lot of people they you know, digging into other people like oh the total cost of that it can only be this much you're putting a lot in your pockets first of all who cares how much somebody puts in their pocket is it worth it to you or is it not exactly you know, there's <clears throat> Like if you don't want it, just keep on keeping on with the original stuff. Yeah, if if you're going to use that that logic to get angry at somebody who's making, by the way, a very niche, low product run thing for a community that loves this stuff, uh, how much time did it take him to make this thing? Is he expected to be take do all those research hours for free? Right. You know, I don't care if this thing was only two dollars in parts and he can build them for two dollars. He probably put more than. $98 worth of effort into creating it. Yeah. So that's fine to me. Anyway, <clears throat> but it is, that is steep and I don't think it'll have, well, there's enough nerds out there. It'll, it'll do all right. One of the things that's interesting is it says internal 50 plus mini game storage. I never played any of the little mini games I knew were available in the VMU mainly because because it never the battery life. Yeah. Like, no, like that's, that's my big thing for this is the the backlit ba- the backlit screen and those m- being able to play the mini games I've never really played because it just never worked. Nope. And but now you could charge it outside of the controller, so you could literally plug it in to a little USB thing on your computer or, or phone charger or something. Next morning you play a bunch of little mini games and you just charge it again. Yeah. I mean that's pretty cool. It's almost like Way a little cool. tiny mini console. Yeah. No. That's and that's what I'm more excited <laughs> about. I mean my VMU's. They they hold games just fine. That's not an issue for me. It's more about using the VMU as it was made to be used because I never yeah. could before. Correct. For me. Yep. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, just a quick little note here that was fun. Uh, according to Nintendo Life, it's official. Metroid Dread is the best-selling game in the Metroid series. Wow. That surprises me. Right? It really does. And, I mean, I guess, obviously, uh, you know, when all the previous Super Metroid and some of the Metroid Prime, I think, was the previous record holder. Yeah. Yep. There just weren't as many gamers in the world. That's true. That's so true. I, I, I would like, have guessed it. I would have guessed it was Prime or Super Metroid. Yep, and it was Prime. I don't know if it ever was Super Metroid, but that would be my. I, that's probably third. But um, yeah, pretty cool. I bought it. I'm one of those guys that bought Metroid Dread. I, I don't own it yet. I will at one point. I got stuck in a spot, and then I had to move on to do podcast duties but i'll be back <laughs> all right i really wanted to get around to this so the play date yes. since our last yeah. recording the play date has uh been released to a certain number of people um i'm not going to get into all the details about who received them and who didn't and all this stuff but long story but short pix- but, but pixel guiden did not all i'm saying is our freebies didn't show up eric Correct. i expect free things everybody send us free stuff um <laughs> I wanted to show, so first of all, let me just put it this way. I've watched some reviews. We've talked about in the past. I wasn't terribly interested in this thing uh, for a variety of reasons um, at the price level, basically, right? It's super small. I think it's three inch by three inch. Got the little crank on the side, a D-pad, two face buttons, and one menu button. Very simple. 
I'm like, it looks cool because it's well built and all this, but they're asking like 180 bucks for this thing. I'm just like, I don't know. Um, the way they're coming out with these with games for this things is these like passes. Yeah. So when you first get it, um, you it comes with season one, which. So this is the part that's kind of confusing and kind of turning some people on or off depending on when you get it. Every week, so let's just say in this area, I don't know where it is, but every every week in America, on one day, let's say it's Tuesday, I don't know what day it is, it'll you'll get two new games on it. It'll automatically download them. You when you turn it on or when you w- wake it up, because I guess it never turns off. When you wake it up, you can go to the main menu, which just scrolls up and down. You see these little tiles that show you what game you're looking at. Yeah, And they'll show up as two little packages, and you unwrap them, and you'll see the new games you got for the week. Now, I think that's super cool, because... That is cool. You, they just show up. Yeah, There's 24 in the first year, so 12 months, or... Um, 12 Not first year, I'm sorry. First... I have to do math. Two games a week, so first 12 weeks, I guess. Um, and then the games are all over the place, different genres and stuff. And so you're always playing the newest game, and in theory, if your friends have it, you're all playing the newest game at the, kind of the same time and talking about it and laughing about it. Um, the screen is black and white, yes, but actually the resolution and the games that are being made for it are much, much cooler looking than I thought they would be. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the games do, at least in the first season, do use the crank uh, to add something to the game rather than just, just being... I mean, it's kind of gimmicky, but it's actively being used in the games, which is cool. Um, and I guess it's got the super reflective screen probably should have been backlit, but I guess that saves battery. Anyways, I don't know if you've seen any of the gameplay. I have not really. No, the games look really, really fun, Eric. I'm not going to lie. Um, a system is only as good as its games and the games might sell me on this thing. Um, I don't know if you, you can just kind of see the way the games play and the kind of the smoothness of them. Um, uh, we're watching a video of it right now. That's why we're kind of getting quiet. But um, <laughs> my goodness, that some of them just look so cool. Uh, I have no complaint. Like I, I think it looks awesome. the The price did set me back a little bit. I mean, I, I, I the whole reason I, I didn't jump at this was I really wanted to see. We we've talked a little bit about this. I wanted to see what kind of games there was going to be because a, a yep. system is only as good as its games. Yep. That's so it. I wanted to see what is going on in television, Amico. Um, <laughs> <laughs> haven't heard much about that lately. Yeah, I've heard plenty yeah. about it, but none of it was about the actual system. Right. Anyways, the games look cool. There's like this one's like a tactical based like ninja game. Yeah. There's some puzzle games. There's that. This one's a full on RPG. There's some shooters. Almost like it's a really cool looking one. It's kind of like asteroids. Here's an RPG. Almost like mm-hmm. asteroids, but you use the crank to turn your ship. 360 and you press yeah. the button to, sh- to go forward and instead of shooting um you actually hit the meteors um i'm trying to find the video of that one you actually hit the meters meteors in either the black part or the white part of the meteor and if you hit the white part you destroy the meteor if you hit the black part you get destroyed this is kind of like a cool um oh, i'm just i'm just looking at all these games i'm not going to describe them all but but i end up watching this video that goes through every one of the games released so far and i'm like executive golf dx eric it's a golf game it is a golf game you're right i just i'm like oh man these look so simple and so fun this is like a breakout clone but uh where 
circular for the for the hand crank yeah imagine breakout but with like gravitar where the the paddle is going around a circle on the outside edge and the hand cranks rotates it and you're trying to break all the blocks in the center yeah just a simple change like that that makes the game new and fresh and engaging but this isn't really out yet is it is it only preview copies or can you go buy this there right now you have to um pre-order again it's being released to some people at this point but they are oops potential spam from milpitas california (laughs) anyways i'm excited about it i hope that they can get production up and everything i'd love to get in before season two and i'd love to play along with everybody in season two um there's also this cool doc i don't know if you saw the doc here you go here's the present being unwrapped here's a new game yay um there's the dock so it makes it look like this little stand with the little radio antenna it's actually a pen and that charges the thing and then it also is a speaker and then does that come with it or do you have to buy that separately it's separate you have to buy that separate Ugh. um yeah but Woof. <laughs> uh but the kind of like the uh the nintendo game and watches yeah um this device is always on, and when it's kind of in the sleep mode, it shows a clock on the front. That's pretty cool. I do like that. Yeah, I, I love the color of it too. I'm a, I'm a sucker for that kind of yellowish orange. What if it was orange and black though? Oh, that would be it. <laughs> it would be over. Uh, and then I just wanted to throw the next topic to you. Have you heard any reviews about the Steam Deck since that's been getting out there? I have, and it's they've been mixed. I've heard like of glowing reviews like this is the future we love this thing and i've heard reviews that have said it has some serious flaws which need to be addressed i've heard similar things and i maybe you can uh expound upon that a little bit Uh, because from from what i heard roughly if you're buying it kind of for its intended use it's Mm -hmm. great yes which is which is what i would be buying it for which is I would like to have my games that I use on my computer on Steam yep. to have an interface that makes it easy to pick them up, play them, um, and cr- basically create a standard piece of hardware that everybody makes sure the games work on. Yep. And obviously not all the games work on it, but they, I guess, are Steam Deck certified. So you just yeah. stick to the Steam, sec- Steam Deck certified games and you're good. That's all and, I would use it for. Yeah, and what I like the most, every PC game I've played in the last uh, year has, well, not everyone, but most of them have been indie titles that don't push advanced hardware anyway. Like Vampire Survivor or, or you know, games like that that are yeah. that, like uh, Loop Hero, um, games like that. Um, so it would, the Steam Deck would be perfect for that. Now, if you want to play the latest Elden Ring or whatever, it probably isn't going to run well on that. And I think people need to understand that it's not going to, it's not an Xbox series X or PS five that you have in your hand. It's just not going to be that. See, I, I thought, I didn't think that the processing power was the issue. I thought the power was more like people were looking at it as a computer, handheld computer, basically trying to like backload Winix or windows and make it do computer stuff because it is a computer. It is, but yeah. that makes it confusing and it's not perfect in that way. Cause it's really meant to just run steam. Right. Yeah. Or am I missing? Well, something? so I've heard one of the complaints I heard was that there were games that, um, 
were certified to run with steam. So just games, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. Um, and, but more advanced games graphically. And when you play those, it, it ratchets up the CPU and the battery life is going to suffer for that. Oh, okay. The battery life issue. And so there's a big like battery life issue when you're pushing that hardware to its maximum. Uh, so I've heard that that is one of the complaints. I, I kind of, it's kind of that you knew the job was dangerous when you took it. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, if you're going to buy that thing, it, it's not, it's not going to replace your beefy console. It's just not going to do that. Go play them on your beefy console. I mean, it, See, and that's my issue is my main issue is I like the fact that it can dock. And so yeah. I would be using that to play the new games personally. Correct. Yeah. I would want a dock so that the battery can survive, but now I'm just playing it with the controller on my screen, which is what I would want it to do. But can yeah. it can it handle that? Yeah. And my Nintendo okay. Switch will my Nintendo Switch I play dock ninety percent of the time. Yeah, but the Switch games are historic you know, they're notoriously uh dumbed down versions of the full games of um yeah. you know, if if they're on another system they Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, and then the other complaints I've heard were mainly uh, supply channel stuff. People ordered them, haven't gotten them. Yeah, of course, that's everything um, right now, though. Yeah, that's everything, and you know, it, it's disappointing though. I mean, people that have even pre-ordered, they all haven't gotten it yet. Um, I don't know. I miss the days when something came out and you could just go buy it. I mean, I mean, I yeah, I, that's my that's every day at my job or selling stuff. People are like, yeah, can you give me a quote on this? And I'm literally telling them, yeah, the lead time is uh, quarter two, 2023. Yeah. And then they laugh and they're like, no, what's the lead time? I'm like, no, that's the lead time. It's that bad. But hey, um, this one will be quick. Uh, the great Gianna oh, yeah, Petsky yeah, yeah, yeah. sisters gets a release on the C64. There it is. That looks like it. So this has the great Gianna system, but she is like maybe one quarter of the screen. Like the sprite is huge. And in Petsky, <laughs> I remember when we covered our Petsky games, like Diogeli, was that the name of it? Oh, it was something really easy to say. But we made, we made, Digioli? Digioli. Digioli. There you go. Digioli. And then what was the other one? Um, gosh, I don't it was remember. But our, the other one was ASCII. But yeah. I I enjoyed both of them. I thought they were both fun games. They all both had their merit. <laughs> this one is a Petsky game that <laughs> it's just like this big chunky platformer. Um, and if you so, haven't played Great Gianna Sisters, it's uh, basically a a straight up rip off of Super Mario Brothers, just with a few asset changes. Yeah, but um, but yeah, and this one's not done, but it's currently in progress. Uh, they're just adding more and more levels to it now. Um, <laughs> But I, I just thought it was kind of a cool. I love playing these a, gigantic Petsky games. There's just something like viscerally fun about it. I don't know. Absolutely. So anyway, here's another one to look forward to in the future when it's when it's all done. So there we go. Well, I wanted to let you know, Eric, and this might be exciting for a lot of our listeners. It looks super neat. I don't know how much I would actually use it, but it looks super neat. So we've talked a lot about these uh handheld devices where you take a raspberry pi and pl- pluck it in there and it kind of makes a emulation handheld that looks like a game boy or something like that yep i've got a couple of them um well a company called clockwork pi is doing its next device and it is a computer that you build yourself eric and Ooh. it looks like this. i've seen this yeah i've seen this before yep it is uh man it's it cool looks- looking 
it looks like what they call the uh, little slate computers from the 80s, like the TRS-80 Model 100 and 102. So they specifically say um, on here, yeah, the TRS-80 Model 100 from 1983 is the inspiration for this particular little mini flat, what do you call it, a tablet computer? Or? Yeah, like a slate computer. Slate computer. Or, um, I, I can't remember what they what they what they were termed, but I, I I have seen this before, and I even looked into it because it is pretty neat. The it's all held together by these two little cranks on the sides, which I think is really neat. Um, and it is a fully functioning little computer. It was pretty pricey when I looked at it last time. Because I thought about getting one, I thought it would be a lot of fun, um, but it was a little bit too far out of my price range. So they're showing um, all the parts blown out and how you put them together, and here's the price: uh, two forty nine for the base model, yep, or the top level spec three thirty nine. Yeah, again, this is one of those things that was a Kickstarter, and then um, it's gone through like uh, different models of, of signing up to get it. And I, I'm so sick of that. If this yeah. thing is available, then one day if I'm ahead a little money, I might go grab it. But I don't. I'm tired of just doing Kickstarters. I'm tired of signing up and then waiting for someone oh, yeah. to send me an email that there's some available. I, I'm so done with that. That if this thing comes out, I might go buy it. But until then, I'm not going to even think. Well, about this particular it. article points out that they were sent their their uh, preview model, so the models mm-hmm. are in production at least Good. for for that that point. So it is Very really cool. slick, and it Very would cool. it would be a great Pico Eight little little Pico Eight platform. All right, moving cool. right along, Eric. Yep. You want to talk about? Oh yeah, cables? here's mine. Really, cables? Rad Two X is the only HDMI cable you need for your retro consoles. This is from NintendoLife.com. I don't believe it. I this need all is, the cables. So this basically what they're doing is, and Hyperkin did this for a little while. In fact, I bought one of their I think PS2 cables. Um. They basically are selling these cables that will just do HDMI to whatever console you have. So if yeah. it's a Genesis, if it's whatever. And they were selling them, and they were okay. They weren't the greatest in the world. What these are using, though, is RetroTINK technology built into the cable. It even says it right on the little uh, box here, looking at it. Yeah, RetroTink. and I have Powered the RetroTINK. RetroTINK. Yep, I have the RetroTINK Mini, and I absolutely love it. It is... It makes like I use it mainly with my Amiga CD32 to hook to my HDMI TV and it low latency, beautiful picture. It is it, it's awesome. So it, the guy, I think his name is Mike Chi. He's the guy that makes these super nice guy backs up his products. But these cables are coming out. They will they're plug and play. So there's not a lot of tinkering to figure out. Um, but it will give you the best possible picture that, that they, they deem is the best. So that, that's why these are, these don't have controls on them. You can't tinker with a lot of stuff. Some of them have little switches like pixel smoothing and stuff yeah, like right that. Yeah, right here says pixel smoothing, which should really just be called beer goggles. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I kind of like that because I don't like, like, I will tell you like with my mister, I'm constantly farting around with like the video controls of what the best yeah. picture I can get I on my, simple. this is simple. You, you, you get what you get and it's going to look good. And so these will be in the show notes, but I, I wholly support this kind of, this kind of deal. Cause these, these cables aren't going to be super expensive. And so if you have a favorite system, 
Just go grab one of these cables and it'll look great 50, on your HDMI TV. pounds each. So yeah, not, yeah. not cheap. Not super cheap. No. But, um, but Cheaper yeah. than an o- OSSC or a RetroTank yeah. or a FrameMeister or whatever like that. So Cool. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. We have one last item, Eric, and it is part of a segment I like to call News, News, News of the Weird, 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 Weird. Yay. Retrodo.com. They, they like to talk about the weird stuff. Okay. And uh, if you would like to know, Eric, you can be the future owner of Queen Elizabeth's Golden Nintendo Wii because it is officially up for sale, Eric. Yeah, I heard about this. So uh, the Queen, uh, the, the best part, if you actually read it, uh, it, this is seriously just like a marketing ploy um, by THQ, who gold-plated a Nintendo Wii and sent it to the Queen, and the person delivering it was actually turned away at the gate. So she never actually accepted it. It never made its way into the into the what do they call it um i'm gonna piss people off but oh i can't say that word hold on what (laughs) oh man i just had an audio drop out that's not good well let's go ahead and finish up the news because i can use my audio from zencaster rather than my audio i was recording direct um nonetheless she turned it away so she never got it but anyways thq sent this thing um to her with uh completely covered in 24 karat gold plate and it looks ostentatious and ridiculous and that's just part of it um this is back in 2009 anyways this owner is pretty sure it's a legit one he is in theory the third owner for this thing and i think it is going to start the auction at three thousand dollars so there you go For for a wee for a wee all right that's it. That's our news, Eric. That's it. That was the only red of the weird. That's, That's the only I only entry? had one weird item. I, you know, it's sometimes it was a slow. It was a slow weird a month. Slow weird <laughs> month. Exactly. Right um, perfect. Let's go ahead and move on to the next part of the show, Eric. It is time for us to once again get our drink on. Yes. Before we hop into our six good games. And I do say drink because, Eric, I once again failed to provide myself with beer for the episode and was left (laughs) to my own devices rummaging through my liquor cabinet to find stuff that I haven't tried or haven't talked about on the show. Right. And I am uh, pitifully ashamed to talk about what I'm drinking. So how about you go first? What are you you sipping on this time? I decided not to go with something new because I only had, I I only grabbed two new beers uh, for both of our shows. So I'm going to have one new beer for the next show. So this one's going to be an old favorite, but there is something new about it. I can see it already. I like it. Shiner, but it's got new bottles. Did you notice that? Is it still just standard Bach? Shiner Bach? Yep. This is still standard Bach beer, but they have new labels, new, uh, remember they used to be like, so now there's like a. I, don't I know, know that bottle will. Yeah, it's a Ram. It's a the, Ram the Ram was always on there, but now it's very prominent. Yeah, it's very prominent on there. So I'm just having an old fashioned shiner. I'm not even going to rate it because I've had this numerous times on the show. Well, I grabbed grabbed something brown out of my cabinet. It is something I would never typically drink. Um, really? I don't even know why it's in my cabinet. Um, Hydrogen peroxide. Almost. Uh, it is. In theory, some fancy, limited, special, whatever version of Bacardi. Oh, weird. So, 
is so that's a rum, right? If I remember right. Yeah, yeah. Ron Solera Bacardi. I don't know if it's a sipping beverage. I don't know if it's a chugging beverage. All I know is, <laughs> all I know is, when I try to pour it, it doesn't come out. So, not sure how to utilize this strange top. That could be a whole thing on its own. Oh man, that is weird. You can't even figure out how to get. No, look get at it. To Can you goods. see this bizarre like? Yeah. Am I gonna have to YouTube how to open a bottle of fancy Bacardi rum? Oh man. <laughs> I Make, wish I could help you. I'm not a big rum drinker. Ugh. This is going to be uh going to only go well. Times. See, I, when you turn the bottle of liquor upside down, typically stuff would pour out of the bottle of liquor. That's the way it's supposed to. That's that's that the killer app of it because then they can sell you more once you empty it. Man, I am terrified now. Like do I am I not supposed to drink this? Are you supposed to like hit it with a saber like they do with champagne? I uh, know my saber is in the other room. <laughs> my saber's <laughs> in the shop. <laughs> we'll go ahead and uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> well, now you got you got to get something. You got to get your drink on. Well, I guess I'm going to go for another hazy then because I'm not going to pretend I'm disappointed that I can't figure that out. Well, maybe during the break you can have it next episode. Uh, maybe or maybe I won't. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one of our <laughs> listeners for erotic can tell me what I'm doing wrong when I open the lid. I mean, I'm, li- I'm opening the top. The top comes off. It twists off, and there's this plastic thing. Looking, it looks like it would help you like pour the right amount if you're a bartender or something. But it's childproof. Nothing comes. Well, it's, yeah, I hate it's, to tell you this. It's idiot proof. Um. All right. So I'm going to have another Modern Times beer. Perfect. Right on. Let's move on from that and hop yep. right into our six good games. <laughs> It was like, all right. And this particular episode of Six Good Games, Eric. Yes. As we mentioned earlier, we are covering six good '80s arcade games that kids today would still enjoy playing. Kind of. Now, and and that was your original idea, right? That was not the original. Uh, it didn't come what across was your original correctly. Idea. And yeah. I explained it that way, so you did nothing wrong. What I really was trying to get at is, and I'll put it this way, um, and, and obviously my picks fit this and yours aren't going to, and that's fine. Um, okay. But what I was trying for example, if I put Pac-Man out, my daughter would know what that is, but okay. she would get very bored very quickly. Yes. Uh, I think same thing with Galaga, when it's like the same thing over and over, Space Invaders, same thing over and over and over again. Like, yeah. the bare bones, these are classics, they're, I'm not necessarily dissing them they they're creative and they were huge in their time but other games have more going on or something that kids would latch on today better than the the classics that we think of as classics back in the day okay that's kind of what i was getting at um so anyways yours yours fit just fine which are just i think i wrote you know pre-90s games that kids would still enjoy but late 80s i think a lot of that stuff translates personally yeah and if, if I may say, like you picked this topic and I thought to myself, this is tailor made for me because okay. for the for the last several for the last decade, I'd say. I built a MAME cabinet and for the it's the first couple of years of its life, it sat in it, I didn't build a decade ago. I forget how long, seven years ago, something like that. 
it for the for first couple of years of its life, it sat in my front area of my house because I didn't really have another place to put it. And it just sat on this little table and I would load up a game and I'd leave that one game on all day long. And my kids would come by and they'd play it and they would either hate it or like it. And then they would bring their friends over and they would play it. So I did this sociology experiment for <laughs> for a couple of years. So the three games I picked were the ones that the kids were most oh, interested cool. in. So minor 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 tried, true, and tested. The, the, these aren't my opinion. This is through experimentation over the years. So I like it. I like those it. are the three that I picked. So that's that's what I judged it on. They are all three eighties arcade games that Yep. At least from my experience, the kids in my neighborhood loved them. So, and so I kind of did something similar. First of all, I have three honorable mentions, which even though it sounds weird, I'm going to mention them first. Uh, okay. So I have two arcade machines that I have put together. Yeah. Um, the one is the one I originally made, which actually has a vertically mounted screen, and it has a Raspberry Pi two in it, I believe, at this point. Mm-hmm. And then I have the horizontally mounted screen with a Raspberry Pi three plus or three B or whatever in my arcade one-up cab um and so typically that one can play a lot more games and most of the more modern games are horizontally mounted but my other one that i built typically will play the early 80s stuff that i'm talking about very well uh like your pac-mans um or your galagas that kind of stuff because the screen is orient oriented correctly um, I actually have less buttons on that machine, so most of those games are only one or two button games anyways. And uh, it just honestly can't handle like mid-90s shmups or anything newer than that. Gotcha. Um, so that, typically I, I like to have that one separate because I only put those games on that machine. And so my three honorable mentions are the ones that I personally go to there over there all the time to play. When I turn that on, I have to play one of these three games, if not all of these three games. And my kids play them, too. And the first one uh, I'll mention real quick, although I've talked about it a ton. That's right. The reason I'm not picking them is because I've talked about them all in the past on the show. So everyone knows Frogger. Frogger holds up. My daughter would love to play Frogger more than any Galaga or any Pac-Man. I still love playing it once in a while, too. So it's a great game. Uh, My second one is probably (laughs) my favorite game of the era, Ladybug, which I love to talk about, which is like better Pac-Man, in my opinion. And then Amadar, which I know I've also talked about on the show, but that's the one where you trace over the lines. Mm-hmm. Um, you start as like this uh, big monkey guy, and then you've, then every other level you become a paintbrush or a paint roller. Anyways, it's kind of weird, but really cool game. Those are my those would be honestly my top three. Um, but I will go ahead and st- get my number one pick. So I actually sure. b- busted out the arcade, and my daughter uh, Claire, she's ten played a bunch of games with me and i picked ones i thought might fit and honestly a lot of them still were kind of hard to get get into for her yeah and and myself some of the ones i thought i would get into but i will start with our first pick which is kicks or quicks or however you want to call it but kicks yeah um and i realized i've never actually played kicks i knew the Mm. gameplay but i knew it because uh for years afterwards everybody made clones and and uh riffs on the game kicks for like macintosh and early pcs and stuff uh which honestly are better than the original (laughs) because they mixed it up some more uh but kicks is a super simple game where there is a large square or i guess technically a large rectangle on the screen 
And in the middle of the screen is this weird, I'm going to call it a creature, but really it's just these lines that kind of, you have to kind of see it to understand what I'm talking about. These lines that kind of, uh, seven or eight lines that kind of stay together that just kind of keep bouncing around and make moving the shape around. Yeah. And it can bounce anywhere in that square. And it's kind of haphazard, but obviously it can only move so fast at any one direction. Um, and you are a little dot, basically, or technically a diamond that can only travel the, ex- the rectangle. When you hold down one of your butt two buttons, uh, you'll start to draw a line out into the middle of the rectangle, and you have to connect that line to another line uh, in the rectangle to complete a square. Or, or you can, you know, you can go, you can do it. It's kind of like a, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, what are those things called? The uh, that you shake, etch a sketch. You can do like yeah. hard horizontal lines, basically, right? Hard, hard yep. perpendicular, vertical, whatever. Horizontal, vertical. And you make shapes, and when you connect it, it colors in the area, and it will tell you at the top of the screen how much of this of the rectangle you filled in so far. If you're in the middle of making that line, and the thing touches you, uh, you lose a life. You got three lives. Your goal is to fill in 75% of the rectangle before that thing touches you, and then you beat the level. If you can fill in on that last one, if you can fill in more than 75%, like if you get to 76, 77, that becomes bonus points. Um, but to make sure you move things along, you can't just wait there for the thing to move away from you. They also have these two little sparks that travel the outside line. And if they touch you, you die. So you have to be out in the middle of the rectangle making a new section of line when those guys come by. Otherwise, if they hit you, you lose a life as well. That's essentially the game. Yeah. Um, what I realized is after being the first level, the next level looks identical. I guess if you get far enough in the game, you it changes a little bit. I think there's two kicks. Those things in the center, I guess, are called kicks. And uh, it makes it a little harder. And you can try to split them for extra points or things like that. Um, the one thing I didn't realize, but I recently learned, is the two buttons are different speeds. So if you use the, sp- the fast button... It's easier to complete a section, but le- worth less points. If you use the slow button, worth more points, but you're going slower, so easier to get killed. Gotcha. That is kicks. Um, and my daughter and I kept going back and forth over and over and over again. It was so simple, but we it was a, it had that one more go thing going on for it. Yeah, I've I have never played this in the arcade. Like I've never I've never seen a kicks arcade machine yeah. at least that i remember but i've played home versions of this up the wazoo that's it it's that and i've never played obviously the arcade but any actual version of this actually called kicks i've always played other games inspired by it yeah yeah um and what i think makes those versions better is they do different <laughs> shapes like it's not always a rectangle mm-hmm. or different enemies in the rectangle and the gameplay is always the same but there's enough variation that you're like "Ooh, what's my strategy here what's my strategy here rather than just yeah. here's your rectangle go but yeah. still, really fun game. I, I've had big sessions of it that I've really enjoyed. I mean, I that is a classic game for sure. And that is a game that I think today's kids will still like. In fact, my daughter did. Cool. So my first one is a game that I first played in the arcade when I worked at a at Round Table Pizza. Okay. And this was in 1991, so this was a few years after it came out. But for a short time, the two arcade machines in the pizza place I worked was Heavy Barrel and Street Fighter Two. And Heavy Barrel, I played a ton. I played both of them a ton, but I I, I really focused on Heavy Barrel and 
I I fell in love with that game and it ate a ton of my quarters. But <laughs> Heavy Barrel was a game from Data East that came out in 19, what was it, 87? It's a run-and-gun arcade game, kind of like Commando, where you're running with a guy and, and the goal of the game is terrorists have seized, like, a, I think it's a nuclear facility, a nuclear missile site. And your job is to go in there and kill the bad guys and recover this missile site. Um, the controls are very interesting in this game. The original arcade game had a joystick that was a regular, you know, joystick, but it was a rotary joystick. Mm -hmm. So you can move left, right, up, down all the eight directions, but you could also spin spin the it's hard to explain but you can spin the top of the yeah joystick and it would rotate your character 360 degrees so you could and then it had two buttons one was your regular fire and one was i think a bomb or something i don't i don't remember off the top of my head but you could go around picking up like like upgrades for your weapon like a flamethrower or a missile or like multiple shot like one that shoots three bullets at a time um but basically, it was just a simple run and gun with a very unique um, control Pro system. So, so to bring this back around to '80s kids, or, or '80s kids, um, you know, games that modern kids, you know, would like this game. On my main setup, I, I, you know, I've always loved Heavy Barrel, so I wanted to get that working on my main cabinet. But that control mechanism, you know, I, I didn't have a rotary joystick like that, yeah. so. You know, I rigged up, mine's a two-player barcade, so, like, I rigged up the other joystick to rotate. Fine, that works great. But then you have to hit the button somehow <laughs> and to fire. And, and it, you know, you, you'd end up having to perform these finger gymnastics to try to push all the right buttons or whatever. So, finally, I got a... I remember... So, it, these aren't on my main cabinet, cabinet now, but I had joysticks that had the fire buttons on top. Really? <laughs> And, uh, and both of them had, and I only had this in my cabinet for about a month or two because for heavy I didn't barrel. the joysticks weren't high quality at all. Um, because I think the ones I have in there now are much, much higher quality sticks, but these ones worked, but they would, I could rotate with the right stick and then use the fire buttons on the top and they both did, did different things. So anyway, I, once I got that working, it worked great. And uh, I remember my my son, Sam, brought over a friend of his and they saw me playing it and they wanted to play and they ended up kicking me off of it and playing for like a couple hours. <laughs> and then the kid would come back over and play it a ton. And I played it for a while and then I just couldn't stand the joysticks. They were really cheapy ones. Uh, <laughs> so I pulled them out and put the regular, I, I don't know if they're Sanwas or whatever. I, I don't remember. I, I, I put higher quality joysticks in there and i just never recovered that now one thing i did recently is i the heavy barrel a fixed version of a of it came out on the mister okay. and i don't know if you saw my tweet about it but it it doesn't in tate mode so it's a actual vertical Great. screen yeah, on like yeah, yeah. my main cabinet and i have an adapter now for my ps2 controller and the cool thing is i rigged up the control so that the left joystick moves you, the right joystick rotates and the trigger. Yeah. Right trigger fires. So now I could actually use Feels the like a modern button twin stick. And it's like a modern twin stick with trigger action. It works perfectly. And I fell in love again. Loved <laughs> it. 
And uh, I'm I'm eager. So I haven't had the opportunity to let my son play it yet, but I, I'm eager to see if he remembers it because this was a long time ago when he was a little kid. He's 17 years old now, but I want to bring him over and because it's a beautiful version on the mystery. That When you so, say a long time ago, I remember when you built that thing. Yeah, exactly. And that was not a long time ago, Eric. Shut your mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so two things I want to say about it. Well, I've played, I actually got into Heavy Barrel on the NES because it was a, yeah. a port and it didn't have that control method. They, they basically where you went is where you shot. Yeah, kind of you thing. fired in the direction you were facing. And for some reason on the NES, it worked. I enjoyed it. It's actually a pretty good game on the NES, probably like a B-tier mm-hmm. game on the NES. Sure. The one, the one thing about the gameplay, which you didn't mention, or if you didn't know, it's kind of a, a key part of the game, Eric. Oh, okay. Is, yeah, you can get different game guns. You can get your machine gun, your flamethrower, yeah. and things like that. But you also will find these random weapon parts. That's right. That you're you add up. To build, you're trying to build the heavy barrel. You try to build the ultimate gun, which is the heavy barrel. And when you have that, it, you're not invincible, but the gun's so powerful, you're basically invincible for like 45 seconds. Yeah. I did forget <laughs> to mention that. The heavy barrel. Yeah, which is uh, what it's called, and it, a beautiful game. Kids love it now. Kids love it then. So I think it qualifies. Yeah, I guess I could be pulling these games up while we talk about them, as if we don't already know them. Right. Um, I've always wanted to really try to get into this game, and so my daughter and I did, and we got into it, and I I really enjoy it. I would rather play okay. this game than Pac Man, and it is Super Pac Man. I know that is sacrilege, and many of you are booing the. Uh, the speakers you're listening to right now but uh super pac-man is pac-man with more <laughs> just, yeah just more um yeah. so obviously everyone knows pac-man you're pac-man you're a little half a pie thing or a pie with one piece missing walk walking around eating dots uh eating ghosts if you get a power pellet pac-man super pac-man is also on a vertical screen um although the there's a few things. Uh, it's a little. It feels a little bit faster than a standard Pac-Man. You're not eating all the dots. You have apples kind of in clumps around the screen. Yeah. And to get to some of these apples, there are these white gates in the way. And to break open those white gates, you have to collect keys which are laying around. You collect the keys. Uh, a related gate will open so that you can access apples or things that you could not otherwise and then there are power pellets, which, of course, allow you to turn the ghosts blue and eat the ghosts. And then there's these super power pellets, which are bigger and yellow. They turn you into Super Pac-Man, who is gigantic, faster than regular Pac-Man, a little hard to control. Um, but you can, when you're Super Pac-Man, you can just straight up eat right through gates. You can eat through ghosts. You can um, do a lot of things. So I found the strategy for me was when you ate those and became Super Pac-Man, just eat gates. Um so that you don't get stuck in a position like, uh, if you can see my screen, Eric, if you went into this corridor and ate these five bananas, there's no way out because the gate's on the other side. Uh, So ghosts can follow you in there and you're stuck. So you want to create a scenario where you're not going to get stuck. Um, And then it's kind of Pac-Man with more. Um, The levels change and they're kind of, each level takes its own kind of strategy Rather than in my again in my opinion the original Pac Man which does change some level de- actually the original does not change the level design um, no Miss Pac Man does it does but yeah. that's about all it does um, so anyway I've it kind of creates this. it yeah. kind of creates a little more interest a little more uh, strategy um, it doesn't create that thing that a lot of old car- arcades ga- games do which I can't stand uh, which is where 
to do the best at them. There's a perfect way to do it. And once you get to that point, kind of like Galaga, if you screw up and miss the bonus on the first stage, well, you might as well restart because you're not going to get the high score now. Like, yeah, I mean, that's one thing I didn't. I mean, listen, Pac-Man was a phenomenon and it was a fun game when it came out. There was nothing like it and it was a blast. But, you know, you had to memorize patterns. If you were going to get good at Pac-Man and get further and further, you memorized a pattern and then you did the pattern because it played the same exact way every time. Yep. Whereas Ms. Pac-Man didn't do that. It randomized things so that it was a much more uh, unique game every time you played it. I guess, let's say. So, yeah, I, I, I've never played this one, but it looks like it's more of the latter on that, and it looks like it it would create a unique and fun game every time you played it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it looks it. good. Super Pac-Man. It looks hard, though. You can always tell that the Pac-Man's almost always uh, like got people just running up his butt. <laughs> <laughs> up the wazoo, Pac- the Pac-Zoo. Exactly. Yes, exactly. But it looks like a blast. I've never played it before. I've heard of it, but I've yeah. never played it. So that's my number two pick, Super Pac-Man. Cool. So my number two pick is Air, Amigo Aaron is going to kick me right in the nutskies. You've never talked about this one on the show before, Eric, really? I, I have. I've talked about it. I, I, I don't follow that rule because, I, 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 there's, you know, there's there's games that fit too perfectly in this one. Out of all three of my games... More neighborhood kids have played this game. Like, if you look at my high score table on yeah. this game, it, it's filled with kids that I've even forgotten that have moved out of the neighborhood. <laughs> um, but Amigo Aaron, the funny thing is, he just talked, he's talked a couple of times on ARG Presents. And uh, I think on the, even on the Amigos thing, he hates this game. He, yeah. he, he absolutely loves the first time pilot, which I do too. I love that, the first one. I love it. He hates this one. This is Time and Pilot I'm going, 84. I'm going to say the name because yeah. you already well, mentioned Time I was going to say the name, yeah. <laughs> but it's Time Pilot 84. Um, I think if you don't compare it to the first Time Pilot, you will find a game that is very unique, very challenging, and a blast to play. Time Pilot 84 doesn't, like in the first Time Pilot, the reason it's called Time Pilot, which I agree because Amigo Aaron has mentioned that it's stupid that Time Pilot 84 is called Time Pilot, but you don't travel through time. And that's totally true. You don't. You're, you're, a, time pilot, always, you're a time pilot who's stuck in 2084, yeah. I guess. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he, he is stuck in in a time period it's, that's futuristic. So, yes, I agree. And that's why you have to take this game as uh, on its own. You can't compare it to the first Time Pilot. But the, the shtick of this game is it's a multi-directional shooter where you have a fire button that fires regular projectiles, and those are good for killing any of the green enemies. And then you have a second button, which you can release missiles, and they will f- home in on any any silver enemy that you've locked onto. So there's this lock-on mechanic, and the lock-on automatically happens when you are facing an enemy, and they are in front of you. You will get a lock-on rectangle that that surrounds the enemy, and then you hit the second button and it will release I do love the lock number on. of missiles, the number of missiles for as many people. So you can lock on the five different enemies and then hit the button and it will send a barrage of missiles out. And which I love. I love that mechanic in any game. The lock yeah. on missile, big missile barrage. Um 
I so the story behind this one in my neighborhood is that I started playing Time Pilot '84 with my my good friend Jesse, who I've talked about many times on the show, who had the Atari Fifty Two Hundred when I was a kid, and we played that together. Is that the one you own now? I'm sorry. Is that the one you own now? The one I own now. Yeah, it was his original Atari Fifty Two Hundred. Um, but he came over and we both played Time this Time Pilot '84. And we fell in love with this game and we played it all night once where we were just fighting back and forth for high scores. And we played it till like midnight. I love that. I love when those things magically happen and you're just. Yeah. And I'd play it and he'd play it and we'd find something a little new. We'd get a little further and see different enemies. And, and we loved this game. So I left it on the, the main machine. And the next day, my neighbor, his name's Wilson. He listened to the show once in a while. Yeah. What's up, Wilson? I love that name. Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, he came over and he's he at the time he was like just your typical teenager. I think he was probably 15 and he just kind of looks at it. and He's like, oh, the retro game, you know, this doesn't compare to my Xbox or whatever. And then he gave it a shot and gave it another one, gave it another one. He ended up he he would I'd hear a knock on the door and I'd go over there and I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, Sam's not home. Nobody's here. It's just me working. And he's like, oh, can I play some of that game, that time pilot? <laughs> and I'd be like, sure, dude, come on in. And he'd come awesome. in and he would play that. And he did that for a couple of weeks. And I think I haven't booted my main machine up in a while. I think he still has the highest score oh, on my Wilson. And cause he's a great gamer. He is absolutely great. And he ended up just getting very addicted to time pilot. 84. I love it. I love it where he got. And then he, and then, some of my, my son's friends came over and played it. And I think if Amigo Aaron actually gave this a chance and maybe listen, I don't know if he knows that you have to lock on the silver enemies and then use your other weapon for green enemies. Um, it does have some similar things to the original time pilot, like bosses, like you'll get these big robotic, like flying saucer looking bosses that come out that yeah. you have no to parachute use guys. Though. No parachute guys. There's no parachute guys. That is correct. Um, I think if he gave it an honest go, this is a great, great game. I, so love I, it. I always so, remember you telling me, obviously, you introduced me to Time Pilot, which I honestly had no idea about until you introduced me. Yeah. And I remember you telling me this was the second one and you preferred this one. And I have never, I always say this on the show, I've never clicked with this one. So yeah. I always kind of leaned towards Amigo Aaron's opinion. Uh, in, in not, not to the point where I hate sure. it, just... Time Pilot, the original Time Pilot is just magic to me. Whereas this oh, one, me always, too. I this one it. always I... felt like they tried to do a whole bunch of things and it just didn't all work together. But watching it again and hearing you talk about it, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it another go and see if I can. I would love to love this one more than the original because I love the original so much. Oh, and I do too. I mean, I do love the original. In fact, Jesse, that same guy, Jesse and I would go to the local arcade, and there was a Time Pilot machine there. And we would play that. We would feed that thing quarters and play time pilot for hours and hours. And then there's a laundromat by his house that still has an old rickety time pilot machine that works. So he told me about it. I haven't gotten, I haven't gone to it yet, but um, I would love to go there and try to play an original time pilot. But anyway, time pilot 84, that's my second pick. So I, I actually, I, I've talked about, we've talked about so much on the show. I didn't want to pick it, but I would have picked, original time pilot as well yeah so just for because this one i think fits my original intent yeah which is kind of early golden age arcades 
82. And I think 84 is kind of right there, too. It's right after the crash, which is probably why it didn't make it that big. Um, But yeah, the original was 82 by Konami. And then two years later, Time Pilot 84, which made some big changes, which... Cool. I want. I want to give it a try again. You're making me want to. I, I don't try. think it's. I don't think. I think that many people it didn't click with. So I don't think you. I don't think you and Amigo Aaron are wrong at all. I think people had the first time pilot so ingrained in their mind that it was so awesome, and it was. And then when time pilot eighty five, I think it deviated too far from the original formula, and it just didn't click with people. But that's why I think if you just take it on its own as an original game and not. The you know a, a relative of Time Pilot, I think you'd have a better time with it. That's but, just all I'm saying. But you know what I like better than Time Pilot? What's that? Vector Pilot. The, yeah, Vector Pilot is. Oh, awesome. I don't know what it is about that game. It's so good on the Vector. It is. Anyways, I digress. Yep. Um, also, on Home Improvement, what was the name of the neighbor who stuck his just half his face over the fence? We never saw Wilson. the lower. Right. You that totally had. You literally had a Wilson. You had like, a, yeah. even even though he was a kid rather than an old wise man, he was like, yeah. Did, did the the door open? You hear that little, hey Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Wilson? What's up, Wilson? Um, I am on item number three, and yes. this is one I kind of talked about recently because I had never played it, and I finally played the arcade version of it with my daughter. Um, but I never, I always heard the name of the game and I played, uh, the port that was on, was C64 it? has a classic version of this. I, I, it was either the C64 or it might've been the MSX. Yeah. Uh, anyways, the game is bump and jump and that's a game that I've heard about and seen the, yeah. the marquee for, and you know, I knew it was a classic game, but I couldn't have even told you before I played it, what type of game it was. Um, and I still can't describe what kind of game it is because it's one and it's like its own thing. There's really not any other games to compare it to. Um, it is a vertically scrolling... I mean, can't call it a racing game. It's, a, it's like Spy Hunter, I guess, in that regard, right? Where it's not a racing game. It's a right. vertically scrolling car driving game. Yep. And it is very... That's what I love about these old games. They, they come up with these really weird like programming things that would happen or programming tricks. And they're like, you know what? Know how we can make that a fun game? And they'd like figure a fun game out. So in this case, it's like you have enemy cars that are driving the same direction as you. And depending on their, not necessarily their size, I guess their size, but their weight, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Um, When you hit them, they're going to go opposite the direction you hit them kind of uh, eight ways, right? They can go forward. They can go to the direct sides they can go to diagonals and depending on how light they are your car could hit them push them in that direction further than you get pushed back or if they're really heavy you're going to get pushed way back and they're barely going to move and then there's like five different weights in between um and so the idea is to be driving try to get these cars in a position where they are very close to the edge of the road bump them so they crash into the wall because they're all enemies they blow up into a ball of flame and gore and death, which is <laughs> which really isn't described that way. But let's be honest, that's what's happening. That's right. Uh, and then, cool, you just murdered somebody. You get two hundred points. Uh, the heavier the vehicle is that you can get to crash, the more points you get. And that when there's like three or four of these things on the screen at once, you're like trying to figure out. All right, if I get near this car, and you're trying to do this in a split second, so it takes experience. 
fight near this car and bump into it, or if it bumps me, I'm going to shoot off in this direction, probably hit this car, but shoot off in this direction. And even though you might be all the way to the left side of the screen, if you hit it wrong, you can get bumped all the way over and just get blow up, blown up on the right side of the screen. Uh, and the same thing with the enemies. You can bump a car into another car and they die, and you get kind of an assist. Um, so that's the bump part. And then all of a sudden there will be a big uh, you know, exclamation point coming up. There's a jump, and you have another button to jump. And you try to make the jump, and you start bumping again. Um, <laughs> and there's levels, which I always appreciate games with levels. So you are trying to get through here, get as many points as you can, get to the end of the level without losing all three of your lives, in which you go to another level, which could be, uh, you know, kind of different visually. Super fun game. I don't know what else to say. It's super fun. It, it can be very frustrating at times. My daughter started being very frustrated, and she kept getting a little further and a little further and more points and higher up the high score table every time, and she played this one um, probably more than the other two I talked about. Wow, so this that's pretty cool. Kind of the game of the night, bump and jump. I, I don't think I've ever played the arcade version, but I played the Color sixty four version a ton when back in the day and in more recent modern history. Uh, the six sixty four version is excellent on this. I'm trying to look up. I can't remember who who makes bump and jump, which is kind of embarrassing because I should know. Uh, ooh, Data, Data East. Oh, Data East, yeah. Oh, presented by Data East. You're right. Made by Deco. I've never, I don't even know who that is, but presented yeah. by Data East. Look at that. There's 32 courses available to try. A lot. I want to read that again here real quick. It says, uh, so 1982, manufactured by Bally Midway, so they made the cabinets. Yeah. You get points by crashing cars in the barriers, jumping and landing on cars, bonus points for finishing the course, and 32 courses are available to try. Continuous play to see it all. There you go. Bump a jump. There's your best five players. They could have just said high score, but they say best five players. Sweet. Good game. I like it. Good game. I, it makes me want to play it because I haven't played that in a long time. That, it is a great game. It's it's uh, it's a, kind of one of those games you just got to keep going back for more. You know what else is a, fi- uh, a good game, Eric? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said it, but there we go. Oh, it, you could say it, it's Final Fight, which mm. came out in the late 80s. 89 just made the cut, but... I was, you know, I'm a huge Street Fighter 2 fan, but I wasn't going to pick that because I do talk a lot about that on the show because it's probably my favorite fighting game of all time. But in my neighborhood, you know, when I had the main cabinet up and running, there was a time when I threw Final Fight up on there. And um, I I played it solo a little bit, but then I remember some of the neighborhood's co- kids coming around and me and my son would play this two player. Me and my son love beat em ups. We play, we play uh, streets of rage two a lot. Um, we've played a bunch of other beat em up games, but final fight I loaded up and him and I played all the way through it. We fed it a lot of quarters, of course. Um, but we played all the way through this, but this is a, you know, a typical vertical, or not vertical, horizontal beat em up where you collect food, you fight. There's three different characters you pick in the beginning, Hagar, Cody, and Guy. It's a, a um, game where you find fully cooked rotisserie chickens in garbage cans and just eat them. Exactly. That's that's how they roll in Metro City. Metro City. Metro City, that's how they roll. Um but, you know, it's a typical beat-em-up game. You have a life bar, and then you see the little mini life bars of your enemies. You walk through, you pick up different weapons. There's all sorts of pipes, knives, um, all sorts of things, and you go through the game. I mean, there's not a whole lot to say. 
it, it doesn't, it's not a, you know, it, it's one of the first, uh, I don't want to say first beat em ups, but one of the first, uh, how do I say this? Like comp more complex beat em ups where there was multiple, um, moves that you could do. There was grabs and throws and punches and kicks, destructible um, objects all over the street. Yep. Destructible objects. And there was a ton of final fight games, a bunch of sequels that came out, but for my story here, like once the word got out, once my son went out in the neighborhood and was playing, was like, Oh, I've been playing this really cool game. Like kids started to come around, you know, sniffing around, wanting to try <laughs> it out. And it was played two player on my main cabinet for several weeks until I changed up the game that I had on display on it. And my son would bring over different friends and play final fight. Um, so it, it kind of holds a place in my heart as one of those ones that is kid tested, mother approved as they used to say about cereal. So, so um, I always ask the moms, do you approve of this cereal? Exactly. Um, <laughs> so this game uh, holds a place in my heart because I only ever played arcade games where they had like the pizza parlor down the street or, um, you know, very few, it's almost all just pizza parlors. Yeah. Um, that was like the main you're place right, where I played right. arcade games, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, I remember a Neo Geo cab. I remember the Street Fighter cab. But before that was at our local uh, pizza factory, I remember playing Final Fight. And to me, this was like, to this day, this is the brawler by which all of the bra- brawlers are judged. And of course, I, I was always uh, Cody, of course. Of course. Because uh, I'm American and I like to wear my um, my medium, medium sized white t-shirt with my blue jeans. <laughs> With your abs showing through. Showing my pecs. Um, and I just, every character on here, I remember, I remember, I always remember being like, dude, that's the the, the big guy right there, the big wrestler. He looks like Andre the Giant, and his name is Andre. There's no, like, that can't be coincidence, <laughs> it's right? It's not a coincidence. Yeah, right, you're right. You're right. And it always weirded me out that there's, like, these really scantily clad, like, women that you're punching in the face. Not PC well, today. They, I, don't, they, I don't know if you can get away. <laughs> Yeah, you couldn't get away with it, yeah. <laughs> I never know if it, yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah, there's these. And, and and it was the, you know, nowadays when I watch it, I go, oh, that makes sense. But when I was a kid, we played these games all the time. And we'd be like, oh, this is like a new enemy. It's just like the old enemy, but now they're wearing like a blue shirt instead of a red shirt. Right. And so now we know about color swaps and saving, you know, RAM saving and memory. stuff like that, memory. Yeah. Um, but it never dawned on us as, as as kids that it was odd that we'd punch something and a chicken would fall out or a pineapple and we'd just eat it and gain health. We're like, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Um, but I always remember the little knives and throwing them across the screen and you could hit yeah. both buttons at the same time, jump and attack, and you would do this uh, whirlwind kick if enemies were swarming you. But it yeah. used a little health. Um, yep. Yeah. Great game. Uh I, you and I, maybe when we come up here next time, or we're gonna have to do Streets of Rage so I can play. In your opinion, the best brawler oh, it's of the all best. time. But to me, I'll this fight is anyone it. who says otherwise. Streets of Rage two, that's the best. And it might be, but to me, this is this is the one that has all of the um, all of the everything that I remember as a kid. And this is like oh yeah, I give credit where credits due. Like there wouldn't be like uh, you know, Final Fight was the was the OG. You know. It, Street Fighter 2, I think, refined a lot of the stuff that was in Final Fight, but Final Fight is the the original. I mean, it's the it's so it's I, awesome. I never put that together. This is related somehow to Street Fighter 2? 
To Street Fighter? I don't think so. Oh, you keep mentioning Street Fighter. No, I just meant mentioned Street Fighter was one of my favorites, but um, okay. Streets of Rage is you know owes a lot to Final Fight. Well, I mean it is Capcom, so and it has yeah. kind of the look of Street Fighter too. It probably had some of the same artists, I would guess. It, it could be, yeah. You you might be right on that. I have no idea though. Same life bar with a blue and or yellow and red and everything. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. This guy's name is Abigail. Interesting. Well, you know, <laughs> and he's wearing a cow a cow. Uh, uh, tank top, very unique <laughs> individual. Anyway, live and let live. That's what I always say. There you go. Final fight. And Eric, that concludes. That's it. Our six good games. Do you have any honorable mentions? I mentioned Ladybug, Amadar, and Frogger. I don't remember when the first Street Fighter Two came out, but that would be an honorable mention to me. Um, another one would be um, yes the. Um, um, what is the the more advanced asteroids? Um, remember, there was asteroids and there was asteroids something deluxe. like it was a deluxe. There you go, asteroids deluxe. I had that up on the arcade for a while, and some kids sniffed around and kind of liked it. So I thought that was cool. <laughs> you just got weird sniffing kids all over your neighborhood. Apparently, all over. They just they not a, not so much anymore, but they used to. Um, I do love Ladybug, so that was a good good choice. I love playing Ladybug. That's a great game. Um, great game. But I think that's it. I, I think those would be my my honorable mentions. I want to continue to find more because I would love to... Uh, you know what? I think we're at this point we played so many games where we're kind of formulating our opinions. I'd love to do like a top five, start to do a top five thing because I think I, I could start putting that together now. Yeah. Um, and just get Doug and everybody else who listens to the show super angry at me because they don't agree <laughs> with my decisions at all. Um, I'd have to throw in Bubble Bobble too, because that one, that one, yeah, uh, my left, my yeah. whole my barcade is themed after Bubble Bobble, so that sat on the main cabinet for a long time, and everyone would come up and play that because everyone loved that game. But we talked great, about great it a game. lot on the show, so I didn't. I didn't it is a great it. game. Yeah, but ultimately, what got me thinking about this is just that a lot of the original classics. I I enjoy for like thirty seconds at a time, and then I'm just done. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many times I played space again. Even as a kid, played Space Invaders and like, cool! I got finally killed all the bad guys, and new level is exactly like the last one. Yeah, Space or, Invaders is a tough one because I mean, it while it was groundbreaking and fantastic, it it was redundant. And I think kids aren't as tolerate tolerant. They can't tolerate like redundancy in games. Yeah, you know what I mean. I want to progress. If it's not. Yeah, if it's not something new and exciting, then it's it it, and you know, I mean, I'll probably get the same hate as you got for Galaga, but Pac Man, like, I, I can't play that game for more than about five or ten minutes, and then I'm done because I'm yeah. not going to spend the time memorizing how where to go. Like, literally, the, you know, you've seen people do speed runs on Pac Man. They they put blindfolds on, yeah, and they they can just go through the through the game, not speed runs, but like you know, yeah, high score runs, high score. They can literally just not watch the screen and do it. That's not fun. Yeah, that's not fun. That's memorizing a history exam. Yeah, now it became work. Yeah, it's just work. So I, I I don't I don't dig that. I understand its its importance in video game history. I, I'm not a big fan of it. So, yep. Yeah. Although that being said, I have never and I've heard great things about the. Space Invaders arcade cab. To this day, okay. I've never played an actual Space Invaders cab. 
I don't think I have either. I got to think I heard about they that. Have, it's got like a six by nine speaker in there that does that. <laughs> and just yeah. the way it hits you and everything is like very visceral. And like, I'd love to actually, I would love to put a few quarters in an actual one and sure. Experience it how it's supposed to be experienced. So, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe I just, you know, I don't have that nostalgia and I started video games with like super Mario brothers. So I started with the whole, I want to beat a level and get to the next thing. I want to see the next thing. That's yeah. That's my mentality. There's something about like the original asteroids machine for me like that. Like I love the little buttons. Like they're they're okay. yeah. they're, they're, they're cones. So like do you know what I'm talking about? Like the the buttons you use to fire are aren't big joystick buttons. They're on a real cab, they were like little cones that had a tiny little button on top. Really? I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, and so like whenever I see a real original asteroids cabinet, because you can sit there with one finger and and hit fire on that little tiny cone button, it's really huh. pretty cool. Yeah, interesting. No idea. Had no idea. Yeah. yeah. Thus anyway. endeth six goods games, and thus endeth Pixel Guide in episode eighty two. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah, it went by so fast. It did go by fast. Remember, uh, hang on and check us out subscribe knock that bell or whatever and press <laughs> eric's buttons um like and subscribe dude <laughs> all that stuff uh on the 30th of this month we will get episode 83 yep. tim will join us uh we will have the game show feel free to play along and yell at the screen because we're not figuring the answers out quickly enough uh and you could beat us all day long that's fine and we'd love to have you as a patron uh, so you can make suggestions and uh, feedback for the show and all that good stuff. Um, I'm excited to dig into Battle of the Systems where we talk about billiards games. I learned yes. a lot, Eric. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I, 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 I sucked so badly, but we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to Tim's perception of it because Snooker is a uniquely British Snooker. game. Snooker. Snooker. Uh, and maybe I'll figure out how to uh, either break the neck of this Ricardi bottle with a hammer. Yeah, you got to figure that out during the break here. You got to figure that out. We'll figure it out. So, thank you guys for listening to Pixel Guide. In until next time, my name is Cody Hoffman. I am Eric Nelson, and it's, it's dangerous, dangerous to, to go, go alone. alone. Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D-U-H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1149. You can reach Tim Drew as well on Twitter at sanction. That's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. If you are interested in supporting the show financially, please join us at our Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash pixel guide in. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input. So hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com.